Welcome back to Reality Quest. Hello, hello. We hope you enjoy the last episode. The last one was part one of this episode. And so I know that sounds like a lot. We did like a three hour part one. Yeah. Um, but whatever, like unapologetically us. Okay. <laughs> right. well, we've been we've been diving pretty deep with Michael and we're gonna keep going with that. Yeah. And so I think like uh, if you didn't listen to part one, you should. Otherwise, this might feel uh, very odd. Yeah, I would definitely recommend looping back and at least uh, getting the first part like the the recorded part with mike um of that conversation before right jumping ahead. um yeah you just you can just listen to yeah like an hour before it's about an hour and ten yeah before jay and i start rambling <laughs> and then yeah and then just listen to that and then you can continue here um and we do well it'll kind of catch you up in the beginning but i think right about at this point we are basically starting to talk about uh, like what to do about companies kind of owning our future. And then we just start to get into the general challenges mm-hmm. of the XR industry and the metaverse. Yep. So let's, I don't really have much else to say. Let's just get right into it. We've been talking about the metaverse from the perspective of Snow Crash, which in that setting, and I've only recently started this book, um, it is a separate space, right? I mean, yeah. obviously, there's lots of like augmented reality interfaces in that story, but the metaverse is specifically separate. Whereas in our near future, it seems very much like you're going to have the metaverse also being the sort of integrated overlay of the real world. For augmented reality, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in the context of augmented reality. And so you're taking all of this selected, curated, filtered information that is only in uh, phone screens or computer monitors right now, and we're basically overlaying those I same see. kinds of biases. Okay, I think I'm tracking. World. So what you're saying is, and I think this relates all the way back to us talking about some of our brain muscles yeah. devolving. Um, <laughs> so, so if... So if we are v- become very reliant on this information that's presented to us in a virtual world or an, uh, an augmented reality world, mm. uh, we're basically just relying on that. We're thinking like, okay, this is fact, quote unquote fact. And so, and that's being presented to us constantly. And so our entire understanding of the world is going to be curated by potentially, uh, um, you know, large corporations. Well, that information is not becoming any less integrated with our view of the everyday world that we interact with. Like that is only going to become more of a closely tied connection between like the internet where everyone absorbs their, Mm -hmm. their facts Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the real world that Mm -hmm. they move through. And so like, what is our way of (laughs) like, what? okay. It's like that versus what, like, what do we, what do we do about all of this fact curation? Right. So I think that, um, a couple of, I want to come back to a couple of things. So I'm going to leave a a couple of breadcrumbs behind and try to come back to them. Mm -hmm. One of them is about what has Facebook done, uh, to create, to, to turn everybody who would otherwise be a consumer into a, a publisher. So I want to come back to yeah, that point. Yeah, content creation. But the other one I'll write is... write it down. Yeah. Okay. But the other one is, so there's this dystopian video of augmented reality that is called Hyper Reality. Yeah. And it was made by this person whose name is Keiichi. And turns out we just 
managed to get him to work for Hololens. Wait, oh. the, this video guy, yeah. the guy who, yeah, the, it's by this hyper reality being. Are you referring to the popular video that came up that was like a guy getting off the bus and going into a grocery store yeah, or something correct. like that? And, and you're like inundated with with augmented like virtual holograms saying like this is on sale this is you know like yeah yeah yeah, just imagine like the worst pits of the internet where where marketing and advertising is the worst you can possibly imagine pop-ups everywhere it's like just put that in real life yeah it's like uh it's like the internet when when pop-ups were out of control sorry i'm like just having a memory right now (laughs) oh (laughs) i have a terrible memory for anyone who doesn't know but sometimes it gets sparked and it's yeah. like that, yeah, that that there was totally a time where like pop-ups were it so out really of control. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. So I don't my know, point really is part, part of, I think, the solution to all of these problems is to imagine the worst things can get and then do something about it to yeah. like not Solve go down that, that way. Right. Yeah. And so, so my point really is part of the sort of insight that we at Microsoft had was let's get that guy on our team because obviously yeah. he's been thinking about these problems like long before they actually started to happen. Yeah. And so he's now on the team and he's a very important part of our design team. So that's part of it. So coming back to the breadcrumb of, of like what has Facebook done? One of the things that I wanted to talk about was, was consumer augmented reality. Like, uh, cause we talked, uh, like you brought it up a minute ago right now, augmented reality is for the elite. Like the number of HoloLenses in the world is probably in the like, I don't want to, you know, say a number, but let's say orders and orders and orders of magnitude smaller than the population of the planet. Yeah, and there's limited use of like phone screens and right. cameras to basically right. get a limited experience there. Right. But but I wanted to weigh in on the use of the word consumer, and I'm, it's going to sound like I'm getting on a high horse, and it's because I am. <laughs> um, I don't like the idea of of capitulating to the that like the way to reach the masses, the the mainstream is through the idea of being that they are consumers. Yeah. That isn't what I want. And I think that a lot of people could be detractors of Facebook. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that the reason is because, or Twitter or any of these kind of social media where you're encouraged to say what you're saying in a small amount of text, which doesn't really leave a lot of room for nuance. And also because of the subscription model is like, let's get rid of all the things I disagree with and let's like consume all the things that I agree with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does have a tendency to create echo chambers. I don't know how to solve all of those problems and that's not my point anyway. They're huge. I mean, there's lots of different facets. What I wanted to get to though was the benefit of all those things that is, is that it has given every single person who has access to any form of internet or computer the opportunity to become a publisher. Mm. Yeah. and a creator mm-hmm. and that is unprecedented mm-hmm. and and it in that very very limited sense it is a meritocracy in the sense that the popularity of what you publish is based on the content that you publish now yeah. i'm not saying that that in any way is like by in absolute terms you know uh, good or bad yeah i'm just saying that it's it's like you used to have to either own you know a publishing like a physical print mm-hmm. right. you know manufacturing you like knew the right people right you know, so you had to right be place. in the club and yeah. now the club is gigantic right and I think that's yeah. a good thing and so coming back to like what what is consumer AR uh, what I would like it to become is not just a place where people watch TV anywhere I think TV anywhere by the way is a very very important scenario. <laughs> I yeah. really do. I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not kidding. Cause I would like yeah. 
to not have to worry about buying this giant pile of atoms and then drilling holes into my wall and all that kind of crap. <laughs> I mean, let's <laughs> be real. I'm going to watch and, TV for yeah. forever Mike's and ever. very burdened by his super, super large television. <laughs> 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 it's creating so a structural many, problem for so my apartment atoms. complex. God, it's just so many atoms, <laughs> so uh, much mass in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> and I like who wants that that kind of burden? Anyway, so so I'm not knocking not your TV. drywall. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not knocking TV anywhere. I think I think that I, I want that, but I also want to give everybody everybody the opportunity to create content and to put it out there. And I yeah. think that. That's an important part of the metaverse, yeah. the, the, this future. And I think it's like we see shades of that in place in things like Facebook and Twitter and, mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, in that it gives people the opportunity. Like there's literally nothing technological preventing me from having 100 million followers. Yeah. And we've seen it over and over again where some kind of random schmo becomes like the god of the internet mm-hmm. because his particular formula of content and style and all mm-hmm. that happens to win people over. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I love that. And I, and I think that that's another kind of ingredient to this sort of metaverse, um, metaverse yeah. recipe. Yeah. I'm having a moment like this is, you're opening my eyes to something because I've actually been thinking about that a lot lately mm-hmm. about blogging and podcasts. Yeah. Uh, how much reason. access we, yeah, for, we have now to be able to just do that and to mm-hmm. just like put information it's out. It's at our fingertips and our effort <laughs> that right. we put into it really. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's funny because Matt Chacon came on and he saw us have like these mics set up and he's like, Oh, I mean, this is fancy. I thought, and by the way, like, this is like, a <laughs> you can't see it, but it's not, it's a cheap setup, you yeah, know, I mean, like, but we've done a decent, we've job, done a decent like... job, but the point is like, you don't have to have this and, <laughs> yeah. and people spend way more money to, yeah. to do podcasts. But, um, but I was getting at when he came in, he was like, Oh, well, some people just like shove a phone in front of you and they're like, let's, Let's podcast. Let's talk in the cafe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the point is, like, it's super accessible either way. And the same with, like, it's becoming what blogging became, which is essentially free. Like, it's not quite to that level. But, um, but anyways, so the point is, I really get what you're saying, Mike, which is like, it's, it's offering us. So, so coming back to a, something I was saying, which is like, it's not about the thing. It's about the people. Well, mm-hmm. it is actually kind of about the thing. It's about how, how much access you have to that thing and, and how, how the, the expense of it goes down and yeah. all of that. So as that far people as the hardware. Can, right. Face, right. So that people can uh, create a, a place in the metaverse or they can mm-hmm. speak out or they can, like in this case, it's taking the mix of the, the audio and the the writing and the visual, like all mm-hmm. of that, and and we all have access to it, right? And so there are two parts of that that I think are peculiar to the metaverse, meaning like so when we talk about Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram, the the kinds of sort of artifacts you leave behind are text and pictures and video, yeah. sometimes audio, um, and those are great. But I want to I want to take it to the next level, which yeah. is three-dimensional artifacts, and also behaviors. Mm-hmm. So I think in behaviors part is going to be, I think, a really key and I'll come a really key thing and I'll come back to that. Um, but so so like for example, in Altspace during the time that I was there, we really expanded our sort of world building capabilities inside of Altspace. So if you go into Altspace right now, and by the way, Altspace is free. 
you know, you just, you, you know, you log in, create an account mm-hmm. and you can go and create your own little world in Altspace and invite whoever you want to come into that world. And you can let people build in that world or you can have them just visit or you can have them not visit or whatever you want. You can have like <laughs> yeah. a, there's a wide range of, of controls that you have about who gets in there and, and, and so on. Mm-hmm. But it lets people who would not self-identify as sculptors or, or creators, architects artists. or creators. Yeah. It lets them create. And I think that like, if you asked most people on Facebook, do you, are you an author? Yeah. Most of them, pro- I'm guessing would probably say no, but nevertheless they are mm-hmm. yeah. because they're writing posts. They're authors. They're authors of they're content. Creating content. Yeah. Right. And so that's the, that's the sort of like geometric content we'll say that is the world building that, that, Altspace offers. And then there's another yeah. part, which is the behavior, which is you want to infuse. So let's say that you can build a little puppy dog mm-hmm. in Altspace, but you want that puppy dog to, to do more than just kind of sit there and look cute. You want it to actually follow you around or do whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that behavioral part is another thing that I, if I could have a legacy, it would be that I would open up the capability of creating behaviors to Basically, everybody on the planet, even if they don't self-identify as as computer programmers, and I think that there are okay. a variety of ways of doing that, but 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 there are a number of stages. And right now, if you want to create behavioral content for VR and AR, you kind of have to be a game developer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether you know whether you wanted to be or not, because. Like, are you talking about like some basic sort of AI for these kinds of like behavioral AI in no, games? Well, or, there's or a pretty well, broad spectrum. Yeah. I think AI is on that spectrum, but way before you get to AI, like there's the little the pug that chews bubblegum and floats in the air. Yeah. Like, it's that's just not doing AI, some animation. But it's very cute and it's yeah. got it's got a very, very limited and static behavior, but it's more than just a sculpture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's say that that's that's where the spectrum starts is like we'll call it a canned animation. Then the other extreme yeah. is something like Cortana or Alexa or Siri or, yeah, you know, Bixby. Like a completely interactive agent. Right. Of some sort. And you could imagine, like, if there was an, a physical embodiment of those, of like Cortana, the, the, mm-hmm. the Microsoft AI, comes from a video game where she does have an embodiment. Yeah. The whole and, Halo and I think that that's the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. And so we are creating ways for people to create those, I think that the skill set there is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But my point really is I want everybody, I want, you know, my mom, I want everybody's mom to be able to create- Everybody's mom. Everybody's (laughs) mom to create a little dog that follows them around and, you know, or whatever they want. And so, so that's my, I want to, I want to end up in that place. Which I, I love that. And it reminds me of Instagram, right? Because Instagram made everyone a photographer and and like blogs was the one that, you know, we're referring to as well. It makes everyone an author or, or Facebook does. Right. Um, But a lot of people kind of like, you know, figured out, obviously this is more complicated, meaning like typing something or taking a picture. Those are like not not really big. But essentially what Instagram did was make like color grading accessible. Yeah. Color correction, color grading, whatever, photography accessible to everyone. Everyone is a photographer. It compensated just enough for those very specialized skill sets that you didn't need to know already. right. And obviously there's always going to be room. There are still, despite Instagram, professional photographers, right? Like it's not really putting people out, but in this case it is. I'm not saying it's putting people out. I'm saying in this case, like it's the same idea where uh, you're making people animators, you're making them, you're making them game creators, world builders, essentially. And there will still be the people who are the professionals who are creating more advanced things, but that there is this general baseline that everyone has access to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, 
Well, well put. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's to sum up. I mean, I think that the, in order to manifest the metaverse that I want to see, there's a lot that has to go into that. Yeah. And my day job is literally thinking through every single aspect of that and Mm -hmm. figuring out what it would take to make that happen. Um, But coming back to, I wouldn't call it consumer AR. I mean, Mm -hmm. we do. I mean, realistically, that's actually the word that we use for it. (laughs) But but I I have a little translator in my head that turns that into just like mainstream AR. Yeah. Because I want people to be producers as well. So I love your your approach of like creative meritocracy, optimism, all this stuff. But then we also have, and we talked about this in the in episode one with Katie Kelly and Altspace, mm-hmm. where there there isn't culture, society yet for many reasons. Um, and one of the many being uh, that not everyone's in it, but it's like there are no laws in the metaverse yet, right? Right. So. Well, there are some, but but by and large, well, yes, right, yeah. right. Yes, there are there are minimal laws, and when you think about moving out west, well, it seems almost like it was more civilized before that, potentially. Yeah. Meaning that they actually went out there. They went out there to to find gold to build a new place, but yeah. that it was lawless. And people Behaviors devolved evolved. into anarchy, essentially, yeah. right? And most of us have studied anarchy in school. Like, it never seems to be a, a good thing. And to me, when I look at the metaverse, I mean, like, the, the pessimistic view is anarchy. But the reality is we have always ultimately ended up creating laws, creating rules, having having some form of enforcement yeah, and, I mean, and created guidelines for people, which yeah. people seem to like that. They seem to like structure and well, well, somebody I mean, else we, telling them what's we right need and wrong. It, we need it to function in larger societies than yeah. like just tribalism. Right. right. I, I almost, I feel like you, I want to frame this into the question of um, like, what are the sort of pitfalls or the biggest um, obstacles that we have to overcome yeah, I like in, that. Yeah. in cultivating a healthy metaverse. Um, two that come to mind just to kind of start that off is one is education and just awareness of the things that you can do and also of the the right type of culture that we're trying to, to establish there first. That's all going to be how we educate people into it. And the other one um, is more of like a physical just infrastructure constraint of data bandwidth. Um, I mean, in a perfect world, eventually we have everyone with a, with equal ability or not being hindered by a slow connection. But for a long time into the future, we're going to have um, inequity in the access to high bandwidth connection, which even in Snow Crash, it talks about in like the first couple chapters of how um, people that have a slower internet connection are not able to have the same kinds of powers in the metaverse that other people are. Because maybe their avatar doesn't have as high fidelity of facial expressions because mm-hmm. it just can't transfer that much data. Yeah. Um, so they're not able to interact on as rich of a level. And so they are disadvantaged in that universe, inevitably. So, like, what are some of those um, big obstacles or challenges that we have, like data bandwidth, educating people that come to mind? So, perspective? uh, uh, one of the things I wanted to mention, and and I think it's not quite directly at the things that you ask, but but I'll come to those <laughs> assuming I remember. I wrote them down. <laughs> is that like, I think that part of what will happen is you'll have these different 
places that you can go in the metaverse. And remember, like part of the, the idea of the metaverse is it's a collection of universes. Yeah. And so I can imagine that there's going to be a universe that is owned by Disney. Mm-hmm. And you can go to that one and they're going to impose... Oh, I'll go the, to that one. <laughs> they're yes, already creating their own streaming and platform. And they're going to so. impose their own morality and their own ethics. Yeah. And then there's going to be the, like, you know, Doghouse Leathers. Yeah. Doghouse Leathers is this like shop around the corner from where we live in Cap Hill. Mm-hmm. And that's a safe, like, let's, let, let me phrase it in this term, in this way. Uh-huh. Everybody wants a safe place they can go. Yeah. But what is safe for one person is very, very different from what is yes. safe for another. Yep. So Doghouse Leathers, it's very safe to go in there as a homosexual man who's into sadomasochism and bondage and discipline. Oh. Mm-hmm. And that is where, that is a the safe place for them. Yeah. store. Yeah. <laughs> right. And they're yeah. very, um, you know, um, what I want to say, like accepting of a certain lifestyle and very they just embrace that sure. whole approach. That's right. Yeah. And then there's Disney mm-hmm. where, you know, they're going to be very much about like being kid friendly and, you know, sort of like you wouldn't go there to sort buy of culturally things. vanilla. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not, vanilla. I'm not even necessarily saying that they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm just saying that they have different sensibilities. Yeah, no, that's, a great, yeah. that's a great point. Yeah. Differently influenced. That's right. Culturally. And so I think that like the idea is not even that you fit into one camp or another. Yeah. I think that it's just like, this is the experience that I want to have right now. Mm. I want to go to Disney world or I want to go to doghouse leathers or yeah. I want to go to this or that or the other thing. And I think that what will happen is just like in real life, there will be all these places. The difference will be if you live in the middle of, uh, of I'm just going to make a place, make up a place in, 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 uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say Kentucky. Like if you live in Kentucky and I'm a mat in my head, I don't know anything about it, but yeah, there are going to be some you places. You kind of do. You kind of hate Kentucky. <laughs> I, that is, I want to go on the record and say that is, I dis- I'm not going to, I don't He's, condone. I have a I memory of you. I'm and I do not <laughs> confirm. Do not you like drove message. through it one time and then talked a bunch, a bunch of S-H-I-T about it to someone who was like, yeah, I, I'm from there. I like it. Or something like that. I, <laughs> Some I of my swear. best friends are from Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to say like that I can imagine a place yeah, whether place has their drawbacks. <laughs> whether it's in Kentucky or not, that there's probably a place where they would frown upon gay men having a home, you know, like a, yeah. um, I mean, a, a bondage yeah. and discipline shop. The cultural right? context of that place does is heavily contrary to I'm cultural guessing. context. I'm guessing like, what do I know? Population. I'm just making stuff up. Yeah. Right? But it, I think but the, the contract, point is the contact or contrast is the important. Aspect yes. Here. Yes. And so, but I'm imagining that like if somebody lives there and they don't have the means to just decide to travel to like the Cap Hill district of, you know, the Pine Pike Pine district of, of, Seattle, they might not have an easy way to find a safe place, Mm -hmm. but in the metaverse, they would. Right. Um, Which reminds me of, uh, not to interrupt your thoughts, sorry, but the, uh, when Katie Kelly told that story about uh, the person who couldn't talk about being gay. Yeah. And so they talk about, they talk, she said, use a different word. Mm -hmm. And so they talk about like saying, I love chocolate, you know, or I, you know, something like that. Um, And so anyways, going back to your point, it reminded me of that. Yeah. Well, so I guess what I'm saying is there, there isn't going to be one sensibility, one set of ethical and moral codes that is universal. That's just like hopeless. Yeah. Um, And in fact, it's even situational. It's it's fundamental to how humans psychologically work. Right. (laughs) So. And I feel satisfied with this answer also (laughs) in the sense that because I'm thinking about laws and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that to a large 
degree, we self-regulate, meaning there are certain laws that have to be in place. There's like universal laws or yeah. metaversal laws. Oh Met- metaversal laws. I did it. I think that was me. I coined that term. (laughs) Um, Anyways, but uh, so those are the things where it's like thou shalt not fill in the blank, right? (laughs) But but then there's everything else, which is like varying degrees where we don't necessarily agree upon these things. And so we create subcultures of right. and sub laws, essentially, which are all just social laws and where we feel comfortable and all of that. Um, so I feel like I have my, my whole laws thing figured out. Well, I think yeah. in a way, <laughs> uh, this might be a little woo-woo, but I think that there's an extent to which the set of ethical standards you have for a space will compete in the marketplace of ethical standards. Mm-hmm. Meaning Ooh, if you yeah. have like a Disney metaverse and a doghouse metaverse like there's a certain number of stars or well just people know. will occupy it or not occupy it in right. proportion to the extent to which they want to live in that space yeah right. and so like if it's a space that a lot of people want to go to it becomes more occupied and if it's a it's yeah. a more specialized place then fewer people will go there i'm almost i'm starting to think of this as if you just imagine that everyone in the real world that are localized in certain countries that have certain political agendas and views. And like, like the United States right now politically is very divided in a lot of different directions. And if you could remove the constraint of those people having to be physically located somewhere and among a certain population and everyone could just choose where they wanted to go. I mean, you have, you end up with that dynamic that's already happened in the internet today of all of these little niche pockets but that happens to an even greater extent in the metaverse. Right. I mean, we already see this in a text form in Reddit. Yeah. yeah. And and Across so in a internet. meaning like each channel has its own moderators. And if you don't like the policies of those moderators, go make your own channel. Yeah. It's up people to you. People volunteer to do that? Who, or is Reddit paying people to N- moderate? No, I think you just no. like literally if right now you wanted to go onto Reddit and create a channel and become a moderator, you can do that. It can be called the Kelly Campelia channel. And then you could nominate me as a moderator if you wanted to. <laughs> but that's I what could, I'm saying is you'd volu- you'd be volunteering. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, think yeah, they yeah. get paid. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know, but I, right, I, right, that's right. my that's the story I tell myself in my head. Okay. <laughs> what were the, sorry, coming back to, yeah. I already yeah. forgot. The things to come back to, we said education was one of them. Specifically educating people about sort of right and wrong or etiquette. Oh, I don't know. Is that is that the intent? So you or? brought it up, Jay. Um. Educate so like, I mean, and this is a this is a very broad sort of problem, but I think it's just something that we can continue to improve across, um, like integrating people into this sort of technological environment. Um, there is just there's a lot of advantage still between whether it's the the data connection. I think was the other one that we talked about because that's physical infrastructure, and then there's just awareness of like what people can do. I feel like you were talking a lot about social media and certain people becoming very successful in that. And it is, it has made it sort of um, more equitable for more people to have the opportunity to succeed by building up an audience. Um, But the ways to go about doing that and just awareness of what is actually conducive um, to building up followings and building up success in that environment, I feel like we could improve upon um, like how we actually expose people to those things. AR and the metaverse is a unique case because there's also very like deep cultural pitfalls to, or uh, interaction pitfalls to fall into. 
yeah, I, I think I'm going to actually take a, a spin on that, which might not be the direction that you were thinking of, but yeah. like, um, like one way that you could think about education is educating people in terms of what are the tools that they have available to them and they might not be aware that they are available to them yeah. and they might not know how to exploit them to their fullest extent and so on. Mm-hmm. And there are like, here's what, how I'm going to try to tie this back to what I think is an important problem, which is when we say that we want to make computers more accessible to people. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, and I earlier cited these kind of social media platforms as a way to turn people who would otherwise not self-identify as creators, but they, it turns them into creators. Mm-hmm. And I think I can take like, I want to set the bar even higher or lower. I'm not sure what the metaphor is, but like, I want to say that like when we, when we want to make computing more intuitive yeah, and that's part of the goal of HoloLens and I think other augmented reality platforms where we're saying, if you want to go and move a hologram, you should just grab it with your hand and move it. No one, you shouldn't have to be taught how to do that. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. an instinctual interaction, an instinctual interaction. And I think we're headed in that general direction, but like part of the filter that I used to apply was, can I get a tech unsavvy person, somebody who doesn't even want to be tech savvy, can I get them to use a system? And I think like I've actually gone past that and I'm starting to think of like, how would my cats react to the system? (laughs) Or how would an illiterate person react to the system? Mm. Because a lot of people are cats (laughs) And a lot of people are illiterate. And I really honestly think that like if your user interface is not obvious to a cat and it entails something basic like catch the fly or catch the mouse, then you've done something wrong. And there are (laughs) games that are as simple as catch the mouse, Mm -hmm. which a cat would not know how to play. But there are also examples of games uh, that cats can play on it, like on an, on an iPad, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's an extent to which we should be thinking about, is it so obvious that a newborn infant, well, that, that might be too extreme because <laughs> their neurological system isn't that great, yeah. but like to, you know, a very, very new entity in the world, like new to the, either the medium or whatever, right. if you could just give it to them and they would just figure it out. I think yeah. that was, that is a measure of success. Mm-hmm. So like really trying to, build um, our whole interface with these systems around what we innately already know how to do. That's right. And so, uh, so the cat thing is a pretty extreme example, but I'm, I'm actually mean that with a straight face. Yeah. Uh, the other example though, is I went to Morocco mm-hmm. and I had my smartphone with me and I got into a, sorry, I did go to Morocco. However, this story, <laughs> I can't remember. Is it India? It might, it was either India or Morocco. Okay. And either way, it doesn't matter. The The point is that I wanted to get someplace yeah. and I told my driver where I wanted to go. And um, let's say it was India just for the sake of the story, because okay. I don't think it really matters. Both places are very, very complicated places. Like yeah. the streets are very twisty and so on. They've grown very fast. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the person wasn't entirely sure of where this place was. And so I just put it in my phone like you do and mm-hmm. put it in Google maps. And then I handed the phone off to this person and the person like looked at the phone and it was not like I could tell by their sort of nonverbal cues. They just, they weren't getting it. They somehow. Did, it did not make sense. It was not making yeah. sense. And after a while of uh, like pointing at this and that and the other thing, yeah. the person said, wait, are we the arrow? 
Oh. Isn't that interesting? Because <laughs> yeah. it wasn't about being literate or whatever. Like that, I feel like what that was the, the first person that that person saw. Yeah. Um, like Google Maps. Yeah. Right. You don't have that on a, like a physical map. Right. And no we reference. were in super high stress scenario, like driving. I don't know if you've oh, yeah. ever been to India, but driving India is probably super high up there on the stressful, stressful experiences <laughs> thing. And this, like to be in that environment and to be faced with a new experience and a new technology and having to cognize that in real time yeah. is, is a remarkable challenge. And, mm. and he managed to do it, which I think is a testament. It's impressive. Yeah, right? that's a good point. To what, um, to what like, you know, Google Maps is, has achieved. Mm. And I think that that's like, that's kind of the bar, like that we need to set for all <laughs> things in computing. They were missing that little, like, you are here. He would have been like, Oh, (laughs) so, um, so my point really is about, I think there's an extent to which educating people isn't really so much about training them complicated systems as it is about making the system more intuitive to more instinctive, instinctual. So like rather than trying to bring people, uh, to a point where they can use it. That's right. You bring, bring the to computer them. to them and said, by the way, the group that I work in used to be called analog. And the reason was because we were trying to make computers more personal. Yeah. Mm. And now we're called cognition. Okay. So, I mean, there's still this kind of thread of like what we're trying to do mm. is we still have the, sort of the same mission and the same vision, which is augmented reality to, to a large extent is not about making computers more capable. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is about that, but what I mean is it's making them more accessible mm-hmm. to a, a wider range of people. Uh, now, talking about the challenges that you need to overcome, I mean, you need to make the form factor socially acceptable. Yeah. Um, you need to make the cost way, way, way lower. Mm-hmm. You need to make them more comfortable. You know, there's all these technological hurdles that I think just takes time and innovation. I mean, there's no, I don't think that there's a shortcut to that. Yeah. I, I think we, we jumped through very quickly earlier, a few different uh, steps in that sort of evolution um, from where we are now, where there are very expensive head mounted uh, displays mm-hmm. to a future where you just are projecting these things into your eyes or literally through like a neural interface mm-hmm. are projecting all this extra information or interfaces with the world. But from where we're at right now, um, from like the industry perspective, what are our sort of like nearest term steps and like the, the near term obstacles to overcome and that we might see. I mean, at this point, nobody's ever really needed to build a display that you can see through and also see into. Yeah. That's a totally new requirement. So Mm nobody has ever needed to do that before and nobody's ever wanted to do that before. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and and now it is like it is the I would say the main barrier the the main hardware barrier to everything about augmented reality. the The yeah. alternative approach would be that you you sort of look at a screen like a a, a traditional monitor, a traditional display, opaque, yeah. an opaque one yeah. where there's a camera immediately on the opposite side of that thing. Yeah, and the... so you're looking at a live video feed that is being streamed within like a you know very, very, very short time scales. Such systems are possible to build. The problem is that like, let's say you're driving a a car and the batteries go out, Mm -hmm. like suddenly you can't see anymore. So that, that's a little bit problematic. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, on the other hand, right now the see-through displays, like I said, I mean, they're in their infancy. Mm-hmm. And so there really hasn't been any, any incentive in the past to kind of iterate on that. So like in the, like making an analogy to television, tel- the earliest er- predecessors to television actually occurred in the 1800s. Oh. Uh, and the yeah, like so the back. sort of wide scale adoption of television was in, I, I want to say the 1950s. Mm. So it was, it was like, decades between the sort of early inceptions of a, of a remote um, facsimile type thing. Yeah. And when you could go out and buy one at, you know, in Sears or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then from the 1950s to, I want to say the two thousands, it was still cathode ray tubes. The predominant method of watching television was still through cathode ray tubes. And now mm-hmm. it's like these micro, you know, these displays that are very, very, very thin. Mm-hmm. And so in that spectrum, which in for, you know, the history of monitors is, is depending on how you count it, either over a hundred years or at least several decades, mm-hmm. we're in the first, you know, uh, C3 displays became available for purchase when HoloLens came out in 2017. Mm-hmm. It's 2019. Wait, no, is that right? 2017? When, for the Holland? Holland? when Holland's first came out, was it either 2016 or 2017? I think, Sorry. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it's all a blur. I don't know why you're looking at me. Well, because the reason why I'm looking at because for me, I experienced Holland's in 2012, like the early versions. Was it of at it. the yeah. same time that the consumer version VR headsets came out? It, that would have yes, been 2016. Yeah, that, was the, that, that was the spring of 2016. Right. And part of the reason why I'm forgetting the details is we announced HoloLens and kind of made it publicly visible mm-hmm. about, you know, like a while beforehand. So anyway, blah, blah, blah. It was, and it's, it's less than five years old that see-through displays have been something that anybody would want Available to mass produce. To consumers. Right. Well. And so my point is, I think display technology is one of the places where we need to, to make gigantic leaps mm-hmm. and, there still isn't yet to this day a market where you would need to sell millions of them, much less billions of them. Mm-hmm. And by contrast, like there are, I don't know how many cell phones are produced a year, but I want to say it's in the hundreds of millions per year that are mm-hmm. produced, maybe billions a year. I don't know. I guess that there's certain sort of industry uh, optimizations in production right. and like the cost of producing those right. devices that don't happen until you reach those kinds of manufacturing That's right. scales. That's right. Because nobody is incented. Like yeah, you don't become a trillionaire until you you know, get to scale and we're yeah. not at scale yet. So that's one of the major ones. We I just mean, need everyone to buy those see-through refrigerators. Right. That's right. <laughs> Wait, Are those the same displays? <laughs> no. <laughs> but, <laughs> what? but if you like ones. watch, what what is it? Is it, oh, Queer Eye or something? Yeah. Like they every time, dis- yeah. <laughs> like they're really pushing see-through displays on the refrigerators. Right. See-through displays. Yeah. You like can see what's there's a in monitor, your fridge. Exactly. Yeah. There's a monitor on your fridge yeah and on the opposite side of of the door is a camera so you push a button you can see inside your of what your refrigerator you right without opening the door now is the motivation there I, I guess it could be more aesthetic you could also be conserving energy by not constantly opening it to check i or, i imagine the energy thing <laughs> If somebody saw my fridge, I mean, oh, if man. somebody went and did the the sort of Motivation caloric to budget to say like how many, you know, joules of energy were 
were <laughs> consumed in creating this display versus how many joules of energy you save by not opening the refrigerator door. Yeah. I'd be hard pressed to believe that that came out on the positive side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> are what? we actually saving what energy? What is the attraction <laughs> of these things? Okay. But either way, that's a tangent because it's not, it's not, that's just a like. It t- almost seems like a gimmicky demo. Right. But to be <laughs> honest, I actually haven't really, uh, every time, I think you brought this up to me about it on, on Queer Eye or something. Somebody was talking about it and I actually never noticed each time they showed the fridge that it had the see-through display. So I actually don't know what those fridges look like. But you're saying it's not the same thing when you talk about a see-through display. See, so so that I would call a pass-through, meaning that you can the pixels are passed through from oh, the camera. Yeah. Like to, what uh, uh, Quest has. That's right. Yeah. What so Quest like has. The display itself is not see-through. Right. right. You just have a view of the inside of right. your fridge. Right. And just for imposed. anyone who doesn't know what I just referenced, Oculus Quest is a headset that came out relatively recently, and they have what they call pass-through. In the future, they're coming out with path pass through plus ooh i gave me a list when i tried to say <laughs> and then um what that is is like you're seeing what's around you so it's kind yeah. of considered meaning like it's a virtual reality headset so typically you know historically you just jump in and you literally can't see anything that's you're, around you but in this case there are cameras on so and that is passing through the camera image so if and when you kind of want like before you start an experience you can actually technically see the room around you even though it's a bit like oh uh, weird and warped. that's right and this is where i'm going to be a little annoying and say by the way <laughs> the vr headsets that i made I know. that came out mm-hmm. at least a year before the quest also have that feature yeah well, and yet quest gets credit yeah, yeah well whose fault is that <laughs> 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 I get angry on your behalf, JFYI. But, you know, Microsoft is not pushing their headsets. So they're not pushing. Are, we, not are pushing we talk, which ones in particular the, are we talking all about? Of the, all of the Windows Mixed Reality headsets okay. have that feature. Gotcha. So those those are the ones that I have had the least amount of inter, uh, interface with in yeah, general. Yeah, which... Uh, my point exactly. <laughs> it kind of demonstrates. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's here's what I think is part of part of why that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard. I don't know if this is an actual quote or not, but like, I've heard that Satya said, Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft. Mm-hmm. I've heard your your other best friend. My other yeah. best friend. Yeah, Satya. Of course. <laughs> I call him Uncle Satya. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not kidding about that. Part that's actually, that's very actually true. Yeah, that's actually true. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge Satya fan. Uh, but what I was going to say is I, I've heard that he said, Microsoft is not the cool company. Microsoft is the company that makes other companies cool. Yeah. They're enablers. And, yeah. and I, and I, like that clicked in my head and I was like, actually, that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's true we're not actually, at least as far as I can tell, very good at convincing people that we're cool. Yeah. Although I think in Sacha's uh, realm, I think there was a li- literally a an issue of Wired magazine that said Microsoft is cool again or something like that. <laughs> uh, Microsoft would beg to differ. But well, no, I think <laughs> they I, are cool. Again. I don't think that I don't think that we want to be not cool. Yeah. I think it's just a non-goal. The goal yeah, right. is yeah, yeah is to enable other people to succeed. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily, like if you happen to be deemed as cool in the process, that's gravy. That's just, but I would say I would predict that I don't know how they would phrase it, but that Apple desires to be perceived as cool. And that's part of their branding. I don't think it's part of the Microsoft branding. 
Mm. As far as the identity, it's not about like being the sleekest. And That's right. Most and even if you look at these device. these Windows Mixed Reality headsets, if you look at them, if you study them very, very, very carefully, uh-huh. you'll see the brand of either Samsung or HP or whoever else. And then mm-hmm. if you look even more carefully, you'll see four little tiny dented squares, which is the Windows logo. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very, very subtle. So we're very understated. Our participation right. in that is uh-huh. very understated. And it's because we're trying to enable other people to succeed. We're not trying to steal their thunder. We're trying to give them the tools that they need to succeed. Yeah, like and build these, the platform off of which they can. That's right. And if you look at like all of the all the all the posters and things inside of Microsoft that are sort of rallying people around a common set of ideals, uh-huh. the theme predominantly is listen to what your customers need and your customers aren't just end users. It's other mm-hmm. makers. It's other producers. Listen to what they need and ensure that they are successful. Mm-hmm. And that is how we will run our business. I feel like the analogy would be the producer, right? It's like you have in movies or something like that, you have the director, which mm-hmm. a lot of people end up knowing, or you have like the writer, you have the actors, whatever it is. Like yeah. all these people are what you might put on that level of some form of quote unquote cool. Like the people who become and... known, they're visible. They are making that thing happen, but they're doing it in a certain way. And producers are like behind the scenes actually making a lot of the stuff happen, right? And nobody knows who they are. They're often left unknown or they're uh-huh. they're just like you know, behind the scenes, right? right? But they are enabling everyone else and they know what those people need and they know what needs to be done, even when those people don't know what they need, right? So <laughs> that's my analogy for Microsoft. Yeah. No, and I, I really, and I they feel still like... make lots of money. So that's why Microsoft makes <laughs> yeah. They're not just good people who want to enable people. <laughs> just <laughs> not fully I mean, altruistic, not that... but there is right. a. Well, that I, mean, I think that's well. like, that's, yeah. that's a fair point, but it, yeah. you know, it gets philosophic, philosophical fairly rapidly because. Like the I, the world that you would want to live in is the world where people are rewarded for doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And yet when we do the right <laughs> thing and get rewarded for it, people are like, oh yeah, but your motivations are actually selfish. Yeah. And You're it's never like, allowed to uh, actually. Yeah, but be- uh, wouldn't you, isn't it great that we live in a world where we found a way that being selfish actually helps other people? I mean, that's, I don't know if that's good or bad. I, I feel like it. I mean, feels pretty good. Like I was, sleep pretty well at night. There is a Friends episode about this, which is like, <laughs> which is like Phoebe basically arguing like there is nothing that is essentially altruistic because ultimately it comes back to like, does it make you feel good to do that? You know, like, or something yeah, yeah. like that, you know, anyways, we don't need to get into that. But it does, <laughs> you know, it, I think it does come back to the point that's like, no matter what, people are going to challenge you that way or no matter what, there's something in it for the person, even if that's just feeling good for doing a good deed, which is the point of that episode, mm-hmm. right? Even when it's not a monetary return, mm-hmm. even if it's just your conscience. Yeah. Um, but that's besides the point. <laughs> Anywho. Um, okay. I want to make sure that we get down that list of things about the challenges for the metaverse before we get sidetracked. Yeah. Well, too we talked far. a little bit about like about some of the hardware things. Another thing I do want to make sure we touch on yeah. is the um, like five G. Essentially, is something oh, right. that, that was the other thing I keep coming across all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and five G being five G being like just essentially the next generation of of network capabilities, whether it's cellular or internet. Right? I mean, it's basically just increased data bandwidth. 
Right. So it, it's more than that. And so like, okay. just to recap, so 5G is the thing that is being rolled out right now. And it's, it's specifically about cellular phone connectivity. So yeah. in contrast to Wi-Fi, where currently the Wi-Fi that is out right now could be called Wi-Fi 5, meaning like the Wi-Fi connection that you have in your house right now is mm-hmm. Wi-Fi 5, more than likely. Mm-hmm. It could be Wi-Fi 4. And the next one of those that's coming out is Wi-Fi 6. Okay. Uh, so 5G, so all it, all of us have phones right now, more than likely all of us have a 4G phone. Uh-huh. And so the next wave of that will be 5G. So what will be better? What will be different? And the answer is, like you said, bandwidth. And it, and it can be drastically faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can also be drastically... So faster meaning more bits per second. Yeah. The other way that it can be faster is the, the latency, meaning the delay between mm-hmm. the transmission and the reception of the data can be drastically shorter. Mm-hmm. And that's an important, both of those are important for augmented reality scenarios where coming back to what what needs to be true for augmented reality to, to become socially acceptable, like mm-hmm. if you want to wear it in public. And the answer is that it has to be more comfortable. It has to look socially acceptable. And socially acceptable probably means it looks more like glasses and less like ski goggles. Yeah, and that, or, that can change and be a little bit amorphous. It can. And but... I, I love to point out that like when umbrellas uh, first <laughs> came out, anybody who had one, like the reaction was so strongly against them that some yeah. people were beaten. And so, what? so, and it's not that umbrellas became, this? <laughs> this is my favorite thing to say because it seems like it's, it's like a magic spell. I just say something outrageous and then I say, look it up. And I raise my hands just like, you can't see it on the radio, I'm, but like I'm, I'm shrugging up. and I go, look it up. You I'm know, right. and I look yeah. like, I'm going to do that. Like, you don't believe me. Fine. Look it up. And then it, for most search. people are like, well, if he says, look it up, then I guess I'm going to believe him. <laughs> Google search. Like, oh no, umbrella I'm going to be proven beating. wrong if I do. So. so whether or not it's true, it's a great story. But the, <laughs> the point is that the form factor of umbrellas is not what changed. Yeah. You know, it was like people just adopted. It's the perception. It's the perception. Yeah. So maybe, maybe it will be cool to wear ski goggles everywhere. Yeah. I mean, weirder things have happened. For example, Beats headphones becoming popular. Yeah, that is actually a great example. Right. Where it's because it still weird. looks stupid. It still does, but it's so like it's so common now to it's see so someone common. walking but around. You know with what's going to happen is their... that like in twenty <laughs> to thirty to forty years, there, somebody's going to make a movie about what it was like to live in the 2010s. Yeah. And they're going to show people wearing headphones and people are going to point and laugh and laugh and laugh. Kind of like now when they do about 80s movies and they're like, look at that permed hair. Right. Anyway, coming back to... Umbrellas. Well, I didn't really know what to search, by the way. I'm like, umbrella beating or... (laughs) Umbrella beating. Or like... Anyways, I started to type like the first umbrellas and see what came up. And then there was one that said, when were the first umbrellas invented? And I thought, well, I'll start with that because I don't, you know, I want to keep it open. I want to keep it open and then see if this comes up. But I, man, this is when I, you know, can't do it justice on a podcast, but look at the picture that comes up. It's like a, what do you call that thing? That's like a, a a prairie dog. A meerkat. A meerkat. Maybe. I want to say it's a meerkat holding an umbrella. Yeah. A tiny umbrella. (laughs) 
That's the first it's image. Like, it's, like a we- it's like a weasel standing up. on his hind legs holding it an umbrella in the The basic rain. umbrella was invented more than 4,000 years ago. Okay, well, Whoa. that's not the one I There meant. is yeah. evidence of umbrellas in the ancient <laughs> art and artifacts of Egypt. These ancient umbrellas or parasols were first designed to provide shade from the sun. Yeah, well, that was basically like a, like a palm leaf or something. Okay, fine. I'm going to do one more search and it's going to be... How do I search for, for the beat, first beaten person part. beaten with an umbrella? No, no, but because they were not by uh, an umbrella. Yeah. <laughs> the, the umbrella oh, beaten, was the, beaten with beaten their own umbrella because they holding? used an umbrella. Let's see what <laughs> comes up. Wait, have you ever confirmed this fact or this fact that you claim is real? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> if I had that burden, <laughs> All my, right. the secret to my success is just taking everything at face value. <laughs> so, unfortunately, there's been some recent news of umbrella beatings. What? <laughs> and that's dominating. It's actually the really. It's kind of yeah. Oh, I don't no. want to. It's kind of sad. Right, we'll come back. But <laughs> we're gonna get down. We're gonna, to the, you know, to the root to the this. root of this, and yeah. we're gonna. I mean, either way, you can have a post, a post, uh, postscript to the to the podcast, that, right? That and it's the gonna yeah, where we can amend. Like, Basically, what actually... we'll just have a whole. We can thing take a about page from Dak Shepard's podcast book and just have like a forty-five <laughs> minute intro about yeah. umbrellas. Yeah, yeah. Are we, our, our outro. We can explain the this outro. Maybe. Yeah, that's another option. So Anyways. look forward to that. Uh, <laughs> I sort of. Oh yeah, social acceptable. Blah blah blah. So so one way that that could turn out to be true is if if the form factor looks more more like glasses. Yeah. And uh, currently acceptable uh, garments or things that yeah we're used to. Right, because right. you guys were saying it's amorphous, meaning like basically we say we want it to be go down to glasses, but there's also a level to which society will just basically be like, actually, it's cool to wear big headphones or yeah. whatever. It could you be. Know? I mean, it could be. Like, I, cool to wear ski goggles. In fact, if everyone was actually just using ski goggles rather than, like, using these cool, you know, like, the, these the head-mounted displays yeah. we're doing, like, if we made it in the form of ski or snowboarding goggles, mm. maybe that would be more popular because those are already more popular. Right. So we're just, like, a You're few welcome. memeable, uh, like, virus... Or, or sorry, virus viral events away from making AR goggles. I, I just I have a prediction. Mm. <laughs> First, you're going to see inexplicably, mm-hmm. Apple is going to start making Oof. snowboarding super cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and they're going to come Who out with like why? white helmets and like white goggles, yeah. and they're going to be like <laughs> super into snowboarding for a little while, mm-hmm. and then they're going to come out with the eyeglasses. Yeah. They're gonna look like <laughs> they're gonna look like snowboarding goggles and Bob's the drunk. eye snowboard. Yeah. That was a big that was a big fad. Everyone putting eye in front of things before. Yeah, right. uh, good times. Sorry, I've lost track of the uh, question. Okay. <laughs> Something about challenges. You're welcome to yeah, well, cultural adoption is a challenge <laughs> yeah. for hardware. <laughs> for sure. Right. Okay. So yeah, so go. I think it'll oh, be form, five, yeah, five G form factor, and so so what would let you get to a smaller form factor, and it would be that you could offload the compute to somewhere else. Uh-huh. Um, if you look at like all the articles about five G, you'll notice that there's a strong correlation between discussions of five G adoption and augmented reality. Yeah, that is something you can just like Google, yep. and you will find that correlation. Um. Here's my point. 5G not only offers wider bandwidth, it also offers lower latency. Why is that important for augmented reality? Well, 
as you move your, here's here's the like augmented reality in a nutshell. Uh, and it comes into it ties into the question of what do you need head tracking for? Like what are all these trackers for? And ultimately what it comes down to is that you're rendering the, uh, a virtual world with a virtual camera. But in augmented reality, that virtual camera has to physically coincide with your actual eyeball, which mm-hmm. is a kind of camera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it has to do this at such a high rate that all of the systems in your body, like your vestibular system, mm-hmm. which is the, the system that lets you keep your balance, mm-hmm. and your ocular system, which is the one that kind of tells you where you are in the world, those things have to be in harmony And it turns out that in order to do that, you have to do that fairly rapidly. Meaning, if there's any kind of appreciable delay between when you render that virtual image and when your eyeball sees that virtual image, if there's any delay, any disparity in time, then you will feel sick. You'll feel ill. And I think everybody's experienced this to some extent or another. Uh, In the early attempts at virtual reality back in the 1980s and 90s, which I I got to experience, they had names like the Vomitron, you know, like they were, (laughs) they were bad. Right. And it was because of these like very, very, very short, (laughs) seemingly like in absolute terms, short delays, like in the tens of milliseconds. Mm -hmm. I really want somebody to actually come out with With a headset named the Vomitron (laughs) just for fun. And so the point is that when 5G offers things like very, very low latencies, one of the things that you can do with that is, you know, imagine offering augmented reality experiences that are not directly attached to your head, mm-hmm. which means that the stuff on your head can get smaller yeah. and therefore more, more socially acceptable. Uh, reciprocally, let's say that you're a telephone company mm-hmm. and you have a technology that right now can already stream 4K video to you pretty much wherever you are. Mm-hmm. What's even better than 4K video Hands in the air shrug. I don't know. Because like that seems to be the sort of pinnacle 8K? of... <laughs> 8K. Right. 12K. Yeah. 8K is a thing right now. It's a huge thing. I mean... No, no, I get that. it. But what I'm saying is that like if you're a telephone company and you want to sell something that is a hundred times faster than mm-hmm. what you can do with 4K video right mm-hmm. now. And 4G, I think, can probably stream 4K video. Mm-hmm. You're kind of looking, you have like a solution in search of a problem, meaning Mm. they like the 5G technology has already been invented. Mm. So it's a solution, but to a problem that nobody had yet. (laughs) And so telcos are. Oh, this is why they're tied. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's Uh, right. So telcos are like, please, somebody come up with a reason why we need to stream gargantuan amounts of bandwidth (laughs) in like microscopic amounts of time. Mm -hmm. And. In parallel, augmented reality people are like, wow, we have this technology, but it requires a fairly beefy PC mm-hmm. to be attached mm. through a cable to your face. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be <laughs> Kind great? of problematic. Yeah. Right. Which is a pretty, pretty important piece of real estate. Yeah. You right. just have to like wear a, a PC backpack everywhere you go. Right. And so, <laughs> and that, that exists. Those exist. I mean, we, right. we went yeah. to one uh, in Disney World, in fact, coming back to Disney. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the void, right? Mm-hmm. So... Mm. So the point really is the challenge to adoption and how that ties into 5G is, is it's all it all is a kind of a nice little neat package. So yeah. if you have ubiquitous 5G, then you have the opportunity to move compute off of your face mm-hmm. and to yeah. other places. Yeah. And that means that like less of your face it's not just about weight and mass uh, weight, sorry, weight and volume. Mm-hmm. It's also about heat. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you're you're decoupling that need for a lot of heavy processing to happen on the on device your face. itself, on your, on your head, on your, on your face, <laughs> your freaking face. <laughs> it could actually be off of your face, but still on your body. For example, like yeah. you could wear a puck. Um, like the Magic Leap has their little, that. their little. Uh, it looks like a frisbee, <laughs> almost. Yeah, and and like you could imagine wireless protocols, for example, five G or Wi Fi six, that would just communicate from your face <laughs> to your <laughs> to your hip. And I still think that there's yeah. a potential. There's potentially room for that going forward. But um, but anyway, that's that's or to your 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 future like capable phone can be. That's right. To a wireless. Your, that's right. And Intel, for example, they have this thing called the Nook. Uh, which is a little tiny PC with no display. Mm-hmm. And they have a version of that that is intended for VR specifically. And I can imagine that evolving forward to, you know, something fashionable. F- something fashionable. Yeah. yeah. You could wear in a belt. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll be like, I'm obsessed with the Wild West now. <laughs> It'll be like uh, your 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 belt, you know, your... Oh, your, your six-shooter. Your, yeah, your, whatever your you draw your Colt, gun whatever, out of. Yeah. That's how, that's how much I understand that language. <laughs> <laughs> that, that whole thingy. Uh, coming back to the challenges of AR, there's actually another kind of serious point that I wanted to bring up, which is uh-huh. right now, so if you go back to the dawn of computing and you wanted to share your computing experience with someone like i'm imagining some terminal room in a very very noisy room Mm -hmm. in the 1950s and you want to share like i've written this thing i want to show you the results of it you bring somebody to stand next to you and you stare together at a monitor yeah fast forward many decades later and even today like if you go into a conference room at any you know business in the in the world, I imagine. Yeah. They're going to have a monitor and you can, somebody can hook up a laptop to that and everybody's staring at the monitor. Like <laughs> here's this PowerPoint presentation or this Excel yep. spreadsheet or whatever. And that's how you share your computing experience. Now come 2016, 2017, mm. you put this device on your face. You no longer have the option of saying, look at what I'm seeing. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, Never before in the history of computing has it been necessary to write networking code in order for two people to share the same computing experience. It has been possible and people have done it, but it has never been necessary before. It wasn't core to being able to share it at all. Right. So now suddenly sharing is a much more deliberate and specialized enterprise than it has been in the past. And I think that that is one of the key things that we need to do is not just relegate sharing to specialized experiences like Altspace and VR chat and mm-hmm. so on, but to make that be a fundamental part of the platforms upon which all VR and all AR experiences are written. And that's another thing that I do in my day job right now is to try to make application models where uh, it's A, more accessible to a wider range of creators and developers, and B, mm-hmm. where that shareability across multiple people is easier or I want to say easy. My goal would be that you don't have to do anything special. Like you write hello world or whatever the simplest computer program there is. And in, and in the, you know, idealistic vision that I have in my head that that automatically gets somehow shareable to anybody else who you want to share that with. But what, what is that? I know you said you don't, 
really know, but it's like, what does that look like? Well, for example, we actually did this inside of AltSpace. So for example, inside of AltSpace, I mentioned that you can build worlds inside of AltSpace. So mm -hmm. there are two aspects of that. One of them is the sort of mechanical process of taking building blocks and assembling them together to make things. Yeah. And then there's the behavioral part. And in AltSpace, we uh, had a way of building, I'll call it behaviors, but I mean, you can call it applications or experiences where you write the code for that in a way such that when it runs, it runs for everybody who's in AltSpace with you. Uh, a shout out to the Mixed Reality Extensions team who uh, built okay. the actual nuts and bolts of this, but the way that it actually manifests just to get to like the end. Yeah. What's the end? To bottom out completely. They're writing all this code in JavaScript and they host it on what is something that is essentially a website okay. and all of the, all of the models, all of the pieces mm -hmm. are literally hosted on a website somewhere. And in AltSpace, you literally type in the URL to your experience mm -hmm. And then that gets shared to all the people. They access the same the same oh. site, but yeah. the code that you run is running. It's running the same code for everybody who shares. So it's that like experience. the code is hosted, just like anyone else would that, access. That's right. Website, right. That's right. And okay. so, so that's that is one mechanism through which you can make it sort of shareable by default. Meaning you just kind of like the the whole programming paradigm is one that runs in in the cloud in a, in a server, mm -hmm. and that's having a. A certain amount of success, I would say success in proportion to the number of users in alt space. Now that's okay. assuming, well, in that example, either you're in a headset or maybe you're at a computer. Uh, for doing the programming itself, or no, for for watching. So I'm I'm talking about oh. somebody's experiencing something in alt yeah. space, and to share it, they're sharing this code, and you can be watching that, sharing that in alt space or that's right. on, at a computer. Uh, that's right. But You'd either be, way, yeah. you're watching a screen. Right, you're well, not experiencing the 3D experience. No, it. you can. Okay. I, that's this is what I mean. So let's say that one of the things that you would build would be a chess game, mm -hmm. for example. So if you just wrote a chess game in Unity, mm -hmm. for example, it wouldn't by default be something that two people on two separate computers could play together. So if you wanted to build uh, a single player chess game in Unity, that you could do. If you wanted it to be a multi-user game, meaning like two different people and two different computers you'd have to not only build the chess game, but then you'd have to add networking code to where those two instances of, you know, we'll call it virtual chess, would have to find each other. So there's a matchmaking phase where you have yeah. to just find each other. You have to make the connection, then you have to transfer data across that connection about like what piece is where, whose turn it is, all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. In contrast to that, let's say that you build a chess game in AltSpace. So you would write just the chess game part and you wouldn't think about the networking and all that that that's taken care of for you by virtue of the fact that alt space is already online and this extension language that i'm talking about is already architected in a way that it is it is online so the point is that the individual author of the individual experience doesn't have to know or care about the details of the networking stuff mm -hmm. they just write this behavior set of behaviors in this paradigm, which is, you know, we call it an MRE and it just, it quote unquote just works. Mm -hmm. it, it is just, it automatically is shared across all of the users in alt space who want to participate in that experience. Okay. What about if somebody is 
not in a headset or at a computer. Like, let's say you have somebody playing a game in a headset and you have all the people around them. So there's mirroring, which is you have a television screen essentially that you're like connecting to somehow and you're watching what that person is playing the same way we watch somebody play a video game. But the difference is that you're watching it on a 2D format and that person is actually in a virtual, a 3D virtual world, right? Right, yeah. So, so do we see any options or future of that where you're actually experiencing the same thing somehow? Do you have to be in a headset or like... I think that it's important to span that whole spectrum. The one that you just described also exists. For example, in HoloLens, if you wanted to share what you were seeing, Mm -hmm. including the real world and all that, there's a way to do that. And Mm -hmm. it's called, we call it mixed reality capture. And there are two forms of it. One of them is live and the other one is recorded. And that's an important thing to do Mm -hmm. because it gives you that very much first person. This is the experience that Kelly Campelia had Mm -hmm. at this time and at this place. And you have the option of streaming it live or recording it for later or both. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that then, first of all, it can be somewhat nauseating because of the whole shaky cam experience of like seeing something through the eyes of somebody who's moving around. Mm -hmm. But then the other part is, of course, you don't get that sense of immersion and and then finally, there's no interactivity. The other person can't participate. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, I think it's an important thing. Twitch streaming is a, is a good example of where, like there's a whole industry. Twitch and Mixer are mm-hmm. industries where it's all about voyeurism. And it's all about seeing, yep. and not just voyeurism, but seeing things through the, through the eyes of somebody else. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge market for that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's an important thing and we should do it. Um. But I think that it's important to also give people the opportunity to collaborate and to participate and to feel immersed. And uh, that's the part that I want to add. I I mean, I think we want to preserve that other part, but we want to add to it these various points on the spectrum. Like you could also imagine a version of Twitch which projects a 360 video because that way you don't Mm -hmm. get the sort of nausea-inducing shaky cam, but you still have that that sense of like, I'm in the bubble that I'm mm-hmm. sharing with the primary, the first person, but I get to look slightly to the left, slightly to the right, you maybe have to even follow behind. their view. Exactly. Not, not right. Not, not to the, not to the precision that is currently required by Twitch. Right. Yeah. So that's like, like that is one notch past Twitch, but it's very Twitch like. And then the other end of the spectrum is I'm in the, the experience with the other person fully participating. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. To, just to kind of restate that a little bit, you're saying that a the next step from Twitch would be like standing in that same place that that player of an experience is in, and you can but look around. Yeah, you you can you can share their perspective and also kind of explore your own a little bit by right. following along with them. Yeah. Um, and then eventually we get to a point where you can just be in the experience and go through that same setting with them. Although I feel like at that point, it almost changes something else entirely. Like if you're in the same space with them, I mean, to what degree are you able to interact uh, with the environment that they're in? Because if there is any, then it just becomes, well, you're you're playing like an MMO with them. Right. Well, yeah. I think what we're talking about is you're not playing, you're also not, a NPC. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, again, I think <laughs> not non-player characters. Yeah, right? yeah. It's meaning like you're not part of it at all other than you're literally in there observing. Yeah, meaning but like they, you could be invisible, be to... like you could be a ghost you're and just have an no audience. avatar or body. Right. And I think there are, like there's room at. for all of these. Like there's yeah. the there's room for the spectator mm-hmm. who is invisible, who doesn't like intrude upon the experience. It has but no they effect get, for... That's right. And then there's there's the other extreme of like they're part of the experience. By by dint of being in the experience, right. they become part of that experience. Yeah. That's right. what alt space is. Like alt space, you don't go there to experience alt space. You go there to experience other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're creating that, you're co-creating that experience together. And that's in the form of conversation. It's in the form of building worlds. That's that extreme. And then there's the other one of like, I just want to watch some guy play Arizona Sunshine. But I want to see it in this immersive way. I don't want to intrude upon his experience, but mm-hmm. I want to feel immersed in his experience. It, that doesn't really, exist yet, but yeah, it yeah. Will I come. guess there's also the element of just that person's uh, that personality and sort of like their subjective uh, experiences. They go through that and sharing their thoughts um, as they right. do it. Right. I keep struggling with this idea of like what are trailers for VR experiences. And this was actually brought up, and I'm so glad it was, at one of the keynotes at um, OC6, which is a conference, Mm -hmm. uh, which was like oftentimes VR trailers look worse than they they are when you experience them, right? Yeah. Uh, And and that's not always the case. Most of the time trailers make things look better than they actually are. They give you highlights. Um, but. But but because VR, it doesn't, it doesn't do it justice, right? And yeah. so, and it's like, how do you, in this phase, so there's going to be a phase where, okay, ideally headsets are ubiquitous and, and we don't need to worry. Like people go watch the trailer by going into an actual experience or something like that. Mm-hmm. But we're in this interim where the sharing is really important because it's what's going to grow the industry and it's what's going to bring people on board. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like I could talk about that forever, but Mike, going back to you, you wanted to bring that up as, as a challenge, but I feel like I still don't understand. So what is it then that you think is like the next big step for sharing? I I think it's largely about how do you make programming models such that when you make an experience in VR, you're not required to create specialized networking code. That, I see. It's that built in. That, that it's so built that if I don't model. know much at all about creating something, an experience in VR, but yeah. I know the bare basics, I don't also need to add to that complication uh, some form of networking. That's right. It's you just built re- in. And I can build on top of that and be like, boop, I want to connect with this person. Yeah. And it's just built in. Yes. You're not rehashing that same. Right. I'm not like rebuilding problem. the telephone to be like, how do I connect with this person? I'm just picking up the phone. Right. And I think that like examples of that kind of thing are if you want to post a message and have a lot of people see it, Facebook lets you do that without you having to know anything about writing web pages or setting up web yeah. servers. Back in 1996, you totally had to do that. if you wanted to, yeah, you had to understand what HTTP was. You yeah, had like, to know what opening a port was, running an, uh, a web server. You wanted to write your own blog. You built a website. You had to, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you had to learn, you had to learn a ton just to post, hi, you right. know, literally just hello. <laughs> you know, homepages were all about that. Uh-huh. And it was like a gigantic amount of effort for mm-hmm. a very, very low return. Mm-hmm. And Facebook and all those have basically turned that into like all you need to know how to do 
is log in and type and, and yeah, right. communicate. You're you're done. Yeah. You, and like you know, you of course you also have to connect with friends. You know, that's the sort to of matchmaking part. To yeah. find your network, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's my point is I want to boil it down to something like that level where it's very, very intuitive. It's basically the kinds of stuff that people are already doing. Mm-hmm. And I want to make that happen for VR. Just extend it to this new medium. That's right. right. So since I know that you have been into sailing recently and one of the jokes oh. you make is about sailing language and how it's kind of exclusive, right? They have all these <laughs> particular names about things. And to a certain extent, sometimes you wonder, and this happens in a lot of different groups, like, was that really effing necessary right you know like (laughs) can't you just call it what it looks like yeah like this feels exclusive right (laughs) so do you think that that is a barrier right now in some ways where people who work in the immersive technology industry and people who are historically game designers all of these things that they want it to be exclusive that they they want like coding is a huge skill set right now Mm -hmm. and obviously it will be but is that a problem? Do you think people are hanging on to that? Or do you think that a lot of people want, you know, the us common folk <laughs> to be able to contribute? Uh, that's a tricky one for me to answer because I am so very, very much immersed and surrounded by people who know how to code and who live yeah. and breathe code that I could not possibly answer that objectively. But I will say a few things that I think are observations. So the kind of programming that I do is in a language called C and C++. And that is a fairly low level language given the broad spectrum of languages that exist today. Low level meaning that it is closer to the hardware. It's closer to the hardware. It's more it's, it's a fairly challenging language to learn in that mm-hmm. like there's a lot of concepts that you have to master before you can build anything that doesn't just crash and yeah. burn. Something like JavaScript would be much higher level. Right. And right. I was gonna closer say closer to the hardware is like the opposite of of web page scripting, uh, right? Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. a higher level language does a lot more things for you in order to accomplish. That's right. Like building a website. And I was going to say, if you look at what is the most popular language on the planet, mm. it's JavaScript right yeah. now because and, it's easier. Well, it's well, it's built into every web browser. Mm. Like it's literally core to the. It is internet. built into every web browser, and it is easier. Um, but it's also. I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to say that that diminishes its value in any way at all. It it is more accessible as a language. It is also the most popular. I don't know that I would have predicted that until I went and looked up the data. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people would not have. I, yeah, but if you go and look and see, and where does where do I get this data? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a website called Stack Overflow, and they do a survey every year, and. Uh, and so they publish a tremendous amount of data about what is the most popular language, what is the most popular framework, blah, blah, blah. And you can get just like very large amounts of data about that stuff. And it turns out JavaScript is the most popular language. Yeah. Before I looked it up, I didn't know that that was the case and I would not have predicted that, but it is the case. And so here's my point. The most popular language is also the one where most, not only websites like Facebook and you know, all the Google stuff and all that, all the stuff that runs in your browser is JavaScript. Uh, not all, but I mean, overwhelming majority, yeah. like amazon.com, uh, et cetera. All that stuff that's running in your browser is in JavaScript. And so the point is, it is, an, it is 
an absolutely crucial language and an absolutely crucial set of capabilities that people use every day, all day. And furthermore, those same frameworks are also used to program mobile apps. Mm -hmm. And so tremendously important language and developer persona and very much not the developer persona that I am surrounded by all the time, which is the C++ you know, developer group. It's a completely different ecosystem. Of That's right. That and, trying to tackle. And what I, the, the, the statement that I want to make, being the optimist, is that <laughs> the sort of in-group that's created by the ultra nerds who like to program in C and C++, uh, if there was a tendency for them to try to kind of squeeze out all the, you know, all the programmers who weren't as quote unquote hardcore as they are, then I would say the evidence of that would be that JavaScript would be a marginalized language. But what we see is the opposite, which is that JavaScript is the most popular language in the world and it is responsible for most of the content that most people see every single day. So hmm. now that's a fairly rickety house of cards that I just built. <laughs> you know, like it's pretty far from an airtight syllogism. <laughs> but I, I nevertheless, I, I have this feeling that there's this tendency to make programming more accessible over time uh-huh. and that that is actually correlated with more content being developed, yeah. more, more functionality being created by more people. Well, I think mm-hmm. it's that it's just, it creates more progress when you um, expose more people. Yeah. You bring in more perspectives, you bring in more ideas. Right. Um, and it, it, it always tends to start out with a sort of elite group, which may over time develop a bit of pride mm-hmm. or ego around being part of that, um, you know, that, that group that has the capability. Right. But over time, things open up, new right. blood comes into the pool. Yeah. And, and know, so what I would probably say is I would acknowledge that, yes, indeed, there is that tendency in human nature to be like, I have this yeah. hard won skill. It's an advantage. And I yeah. want to squeeze out all the people who are able to do what I can do, but they can do it with less training and less, you know, less, they struggled less. Uh, that's definitely a thing. But I think that it's also balanced out by all it takes is one guy to invent JavaScript. <laughs> and for, you know, that person to then hand over those keys to somebody else and say, here, go, go create, do something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, after a while, somebody will take them up on that offer and just start creating stuff like crazy. And uh, the, that sort of job security that is created by an artificial complexity gets like gets the treatment it deserves, which is like, look, no, don't don't write in C and C++ unless you absolutely need to. And there's still a need for that kind of writing in that kind of language. But yeah. I think it, that in, if anything that is being marginalized over time. The skill set that I have is being marginalized over time. And I think rightly so. It should be most of the time, like if I want to create something simpler or like, or I should say that has a different set of requirements, I shouldn't have to bust out all of the tools that are, you know, that I happen to have. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be building something pretty much from the ground up. And at this point, you don't need to build anything from the ground up. In the 1970s and 80s, more of it needed to be built from the ground up. But now we have a fairly mature set of, you know, core capabilities that if yeah. you're building, if you're rebuilding those core capabilities at this point, you, you're you probably doing it because you think it's fun. There's just no market value to that at this point. Right. 
What are you most excited about in terms of the future of the metaverse? And I want you to answer that in two parts. One is, <laughs> what are you most excited about, like, in general and what people can do? And I also want to hear about what you yourself, like, what you see yourself doing. Because I think sometimes those can be two different things, like what you're excited about for the world versus Your for yourself. Yeah. Right. I think that the way that I think of it is, like, one of the measures of success when you're really trying to change things is how many times and how many people can you make cry tears of joy? And that's not something that you say normally when you're talking about computing experiences. But even before we released HoloLens, we had this event where we invited friends and family to come. So we had to rehearse the announcement of HoloLens. Mm -hmm. And, And so we invited friends and family to show up to be the test audience for this thing that we were creating. And those people also got to run through all the demos we were planning on giving the press on that release day. And one of the demos that we showed, uh, there were two that were, I think, that really kind of resonated with people. One of them was called Holotour, and it let you go and visit Peru and Rome. Hmm. And it was both of those places, not only in a different place, but in different times. So you could go to Rome uh, and to see it in the old days and so on. And the other experience was called Hollow Skype, which let you talk to somebody else on Skype, but mm-hmm. instead of seeing them face to face, what you saw was what they saw. And then you could draw into their world. And what you drew into their world, they experienced as a hologram. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And both of those experiences caused people to cry because. <laughs> Like in one case, it was like somebody who had always like wanted to bring their grandfather to, you know, Italy and was never able to, to, to make, make that happen. And and this was their way of being able to do that. And then, and then Holoscope was an example of where they could see what it was to literally see the world through the eyes of somebody else. Mm -hmm. And there were so many other experiences like that. For example, some people on my team recently, I love this story so much. (laughs) asked me for permission to go in and work in a hollow hackathon. And I'm like, never ask me for permission to do <laughs> yeah. anything like that. Just go do yeah, it. Go and-, and then tell me about it later. And, you know, always ask for forgiveness, never for permission. Just, <laughs> ne- you know, just, <laughs> just, all, just go do it. And, and you want to go explore? Yes. <laughs> they went and built a, a translator app where it's a translator and transcription app where uh, their demo video was fantastic where they would stand, they were standing in a noisy environment. Mm-hmm. One guy was speaking, I want to say it was either Spanish or Portuguese, but it didn't okay. matter because you couldn't hear what he was saying anyway. It was a super noisy environment. Yeah. And the another person was speaking English and they would look at each other and they would see like uh, captions Ooh, in, in the time. language yeah. that, and, that they were listening for. And so the point was, didn't matter if you were deaf didn't matter what language you spoke. Didn't matter. And when I say deaf, you could be deaf because it's too loud in the room, not because you're hearing. You are deaf. deafened. You're yeah. yeah. You're deafened, and 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 this was working very very well in a very very noisy environment, huh. and uh, it was just pure magic. And it was like a hackathon project. They just kind of threw this together in a, in, days. A, in, a wow. in a few yeah. days. And I think it's time and time again, experiences like that, where it literally gives people abilities to do things that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Mm-hmm. And for some some people, that can be so touching that 
they just become overwhelmed with emotion. They're just like, this gives me, this gets rid of this artificial constraint that I had. And it, it feels artificial, but it's a real constraint. Like, so, so that's what I'm most excited about is giving people these abilities to experience the world with fewer constraints and to create experiences that they can share with other people. I think yeah. so back that's to fundamentally the, what I'm looking forward to. Back the to the, the superpowers that you yeah. had mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, yeah, well, I love that so much because one of the things that has always bothered me about life <laughs> <laughs> is that w- how is it possible that we are here and we actually don't get to experience everything? Doesn't that seem odd sometimes? Like that you won't actually ever see the entire earth. You won't get to meet all of the different societies and communities. Yeah. Like we are super limited in our view and our perspective throughout our entire lives, even if we travel a lot. And yeah. you can only be so fortunate to do so if you enjoy it, you know? Like there's so much richness of experience that we will never get. To, right. To, and yeah. and there's always that feeling of like how it can change you, right? I mean, I think anyone that has studied abroad or had a converse, tough conversation with somebody that's from a different place or a different perspective or – I mean, it happens even just when we read books from a different perspective. But yeah. like the more that becomes accessible to us – I mean, it it almost just makes more and more sense to me because it's always been bizarre that we are so limited. Right. Yeah, and I feel like to to phrase it another way, like we already have this crippling constraint of a limited amount of time. We don't need additional constraints like that we can't travel (laughs) for some of us or that we can't get out of a chair, right? It's like bad enough that we only have a few decades on this planet. But like piling on top of that, the oppression created by, you know, nations mm-hmm. or people who have outrageously, you know, restrictive ideas about what people should and shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. That's not something that should be imposed on other people. Everybody should decide for themselves what they should and shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the essence of the metaverse is that you you get rid of some of those constraints is my hope. Mm-hmm. So, um so yeah, I completely agree. I used to, you know, I used to think in terms of like very selfishly, I wanted world peace because I wanted to go and visit all of the places that I couldn't otherwise <laughs> visit, you know, whether, yeah. and, and yeah. like in my day, it was the Soviet Union. You couldn't go there or they couldn't come to you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, now it's other places, but like, it, I mean, that's a, that's a completely childish way of looking at it. No, but I mean, but I mean, yes and no, it, it makes sense. Right. Get it. Yeah. I mean, and now like so many, I mean, it sounds kind of, kind of like a Woody Allen joke, but <laughs> so many of my friends nowadays are, are from the former Soviet Union and I can't imagine <laughs> not knowing them. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's, it's like heartbreaking to think of all the experiences that I wouldn't have had if they had still been you know, living behind the iron curtain. Yeah. yeah like a, a war is such an arbitrary reason to not be able to experience right. all of these other humans. Right. That's right. completely stupid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, did you, did you want to say uh, <laughs> anything more about like what you want to experience of it? Or do you feel like that covered it? I mean, I, I, 
So I think what I, I phrased it in the form of the opportunities that I want to give other people. Right. I think it's because I myself have gotten to experience them and I, I've never really felt that that was what gave me satisfaction. Like I, I've, I've mentioned before, like when building other experiences, like mm. for example, you know, hosting a party in a missile silo for me, <laughs> Participating, As like one a, does. attending, you know, uh, attending a party in a missile silo, <laughs> was nowhere near as fun as creating the circumstances under which a party in a missile silo actually happened. Yeah. Right. And so for me, it was really about like set up, set up the environment, mm-hmm. set up the circumstances, and then invite people in, and then kind of get on the balcony and watch things happen. Yeah. Mm. And see all these other people actually experience the thing that you, you right. enabled. And then once that's <laughs> happening, kind of meander around in this anonymous way mm-hmm. and just be like, how's it going? Yeah. yeah. What's your take on just all soak this? soak it in. So and then see what other people do with the yeah. space. Right. It's, and I think a lot of the, like my, my best relationships started by me being some anonymous schmo in an environment that I helped set up. And it gave me just this kind of feeling of like, uh, you know, like I want to know what you think about this, and mm-hmm. I want to probe on, you know, what 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 is your experience of this of this place, yeah. you know, and and then get their perspective on it, and then feel like, wow, I I had a completely different perspective, mm-hmm. and now that I've seen yours, I feel like a changed person. And like that, that has been a, the most enriching thing in my life is to hear, you know, and really internalize what other people, the, the way that other people see something. And we really don't have enough of that. I think that yeah. I've said a lot of nice things about what Facebook has done for society. I think the flip side of it is yeah. they're not particularly, it doesn't seem to me particularly motivated to tear down the walls of the echo chamber. Yeah, mm. to to punch holes in your filter bubble and right. allow you to see what others think. I mean, I'm I I don't want to be too unfair to them. Yeah. But at the same time, it's I, a hard problem. I feel like that is where the real opportunity lies is like, okay, let's get a Trump supporter and a Hillary supporter and have an actual conversation, not a bunch of rhetoric, not a bunch of screaming about like boiling things down to black and white statements, but having a nuanced and deep and long conversation between two people who want to legitimately understand each other and not like win, Mm -hmm. win a game, win a fight, you know? I think this comes back to a bit like the beginning where we talked about the timing and, and how do you actually build a better world? And I think it is interesting timing where, you know, like, Facebook, the positives, the negatives, blah, blah, blah. They're dealing with societal problems. Yeah. Like we we like in and out groups, unfortunately, yeah. right? And we like echo chambers. Right. The comfort of knowing your environment and the people in it. Right. right. And feeling superior. Yeah. Just yeah. like I, I think I 100% agree with that we love creating in groups and out groups. And people, I think some of the most popular people excel at creating in groups and then inviting you into them. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Yep. I think timing is 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 really good now that I'm thinking about it and we're talking about it. I already talked about how I like how it's becoming more equitable with who contributes. But what's interesting is with this whole Trump situation, we are obviously aware of a problem 
which is a conversational problem. Like mm-hmm. it's become really bad about how we can't really talk to each other about certain things. And actually, I do remember that uh, Katie Kelly on the first episode talked about hosting a debate in yeah. alt space and how it did provide a space for people because they weren't in person. So it 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 took away a physical threat. But that actually, and you would think that, oh, there's this, you know, wall up. So therefore it can be like online, like the Twitters and you're just, you know, being awful to each other. But instead it created like somewhere in between where you feel like you're not at physical threat, but you do have an identity. And so you can have a conversation. And so like the more now that we have the self-awareness, we are in this point in time and we're building this. It's like just getting more people to, to somehow build the world so that we aren't. You know, that, so that it's inviting those nuanced conversations. A couple of the things that she had mentioned in that particular setting where the problem with regular social media is the asynchronous conversation, right? It's like you can throw out whatever message that you want and then yeah. the other person responds back to it with their message. And it, you're just – you're throwing your opinion. You're, you're kind of just like throwing punches essentially and you don't even know what you're hitting is another person when you're in this political debate as an avatar and you're making eye contact and all of that, right. it just changes the game. You're, you feel like you're interacting with another human right. and all of a sudden the empathy kicks in and like all of this social psychology that we actually have ingrained right. suddenly matters again. Yeah. If your avatar's face shows anguish in response to something that you said, then unless you're a sociopath, you probably just got the feedback right yeah yeah. that you hurt someone and that you probably don't want to hurt them yeah and you're like oh uh well i feel really strong about this but um it's obviously having a negative effect on the people that i'm talking to so maybe i should try to understand why mike thank you so much we could just keep this going forever (laughs) and ever and ever (laughs) i love it's been it's three hours three hours oh gosh you've got a lot of editing to do I mean, I'm probably not going to edit most of this out. Yeah, I think that's um, the, the goal but, now. Yeah, but I love that you are one of the people building these new worlds and that you are you love being the person who produces and creates these things for other people to take advantage of and that you're opening it up to people who don't normally have access or, or the abilities to do it. And so um, I hope that you know all of that ends up becoming true very soon (laughs) (laughs) thanks for saying that i wanted to add one more thing which is i mean Mm -hmm. obviously in no way could i do all the things that i talked about by myself of course i i have like a tremendous number of collaborators and colleagues that work work both at microsoft and at other companies and Mm -hmm. i feel like uh uh i'm I'm really just a part of all of that. I don't in any way want to take credit for for the things that they that they provide. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to say I really don't think about this as a competition between let's say Microsoft and Google and Apple and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like all together we are trying to bring the future into the present. Yeah, like everybody kind of wants the same thing yeah. ultimately. And I really feel like, again, maybe it's just like hyper-optimism, but I really feel like there's this spirit of cooperation, at least by those of us who are kind of closer to boots on the ground yeah. in terms of just wanting to to build the right thing and do the right thing for everybody, not about 
the the company that we happen to work for. Mm. Um, having said that, I do happen to like the one that I do work for at the moment. And <laughs> I, do think hope so. <laughs> I do think that their, their ideals are aligned well with mine and with everything that I just said. But, um, but th- anyway, thanks for, thanks for the thanks. Um, but I yeah. definitely want to spread the love to all the people who I work with and yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, that reminds me as like a mm. side note, I'm like that whole splinter net thing. Um, oh, yeah. because we wanted to talk about that, which was like, yeah, how you know all these companies how they're coming together and how what that would look like um there isn't like a short answer for that no there's i i mean not really (laughs) that's a big problem that i would love to have a whole i mean other than i again i would say coming back to i think that there are science fiction authors who do a better job of describing problems real problems than do the sort of journalistic speculators who like to sound self-important uh, I, I, meaning I think that there are legitimate concerns, but I also feel like there's a certain kind of personality that like gets, likes the attention they get by sort of prognosticating gloom and doom. Yeah. And, uh, and so there's a part of me that just kind of gets bored and tired when I read these kind of uninteresting, mm-hmm. uh, scenarios in the splinter net thing there's there's a flip side to that which we already talked about which is there are going to be curators of experiences and you as a free entity are going to be able to sort of hover between those different experiences like if you want to have the disney experience you go to the disney experience and disney is going to unapologetically i hope create the curated experience that suits their set of values Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that is great I think that's yeah. absolutely great. The splinter net sort of the the dystopian version of that is the kind of firewall of China thing where you don't get the freedom to yeah. migrate between you know the the different things. And I don't think yeah. that by the way is a problem that is made worse by technology and AR. No. I think it is just a tool that is used by an organization in the you know let's say China, mm. the government of China that would that would use whatever tools they have. Right. And so like, basically I would say, well, the comparison isn't what, what is the alternative to the great firewall of China? The comparison is what would happen if the internet didn't exist? Meaning like, did the internet make it make living in China worse or better? Mm. Cause the great firewall of China couldn't exist without the internet. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time, like it meaning it's an artificial problem. It's just another reflection of a, a more underlying policy problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's not a problem. Of the internet didn't create the great firewall of China. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and so like, I, I would also say it, if anything, like the fact that you can poke holes in that firewall is, is something that you you wouldn't have otherwise been able to do without the internet. Meaning if you're inside of China and you wanted access to information from outside of China, the internet permits that in a way yeah. that wouldn't have existed otherwise. Sure, they're trying to to curate that experience and they're succeeding mostly. But I mean, I, I have friends who work in China and poking through that firewall is not rocket science. Yeah. Mm. Right. So... So the point is, I, the internet makes it better. Unquestionably, the internet make, the internet makes it better, not worse. Mm-hmm. Right. So I I guess there is that side of this the whole splinter net problem uh, and fragmentation. Um, 
that is more focused on sort of like the international entities mm-hmm. that decide how they want to uh, curate that world for their their population. And then there is the side of things where like the internet itself becomes this fragmented grouping of different bubbles and communities. And that probably isn't going to stop because people right. develop comfort areas right. and interest groups. Um, but I guess the real problem in that space that maybe is tractable is figuring out how we um, we don't continue to just reinforce um, even stronger bubbles. Like maybe there are mechanisms that we can figure out over time and given new mediums like the metaverse mm-hmm. where we can expose people uh, to to things that are outside of their normal purview more proactively. Maybe we allow people ways to to discover and, and encounter uh, perspectives that wouldn't necessarily be their own. Right. And I honestly think that part of the solution to this is to get a really, really good speculative fiction <laughs> that shows what what the worst possible end game is of Splinternet. Mm-hmm. And then people have this very clear vision in their head of what not to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Rather than this yeah. kind of like fear, uncertainty and doubt bullshit yep. Yep. that you read in some half-assed magazine, you know, that's like, you know, like, oh my God, we're in this slippery slope. There's the Great Wall of Firewall of China. What's to prevent that from yeah. spreading to everything? Yeah, it's, it's like, like right. we're all rolling downhill, but we don't know where <laughs> yeah, we're actually yeah. going to end up. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> so yeah. we need more science fiction writers working on this problem. What if every <laughs> single person in the entire world has their own firewall and nobody right. can talk to each other at all? <laughs> nobody yeah. can talk to anybody else. That would be horrible. You know what you we should do? We all just do. exist in our own mind. Whoa, wait. <laughs> Whoa. Um, you know what you should do? You just call up your best friend, Neil Stevenson. Right. I don't know why you haven't talked to Neil, him. Neil, I this. want you to write a story about the solipsistic endgame yeah. where nobody can really be sure of the existence of anything else in the world outside of their own head. Right. We're basically all in solitary confinement. Yeah. And he'll be like, there were some French authors who already did that back in the yeah. 1920s. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well. <laughs> well, let's see. On we're going to have to note. continue that in part two. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, this oh, was God. so good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank awesome. you so much for taking the time. This was great. We can't wait. We hope that you will come back. <laughs> um, Thanks. It's really great. Uh, I, the, the beanbag is great. <laughs> Fluffy robe is great. Yeah. Oh, right. Great. We were all in bathrobes for right. this. Right. In case thing. anyone doesn't, you know, I'm hopefully I will post a picture of yeah. this, yeah. but we were all in fluffy bathrobes. Mike is on a giant beanbag and we all had a, a, a Manhattan to drink when we started. So <laughs> yeah. hopefully this all made sense. <laughs> <laughs> this is all the right. best podcast I've ever done. Honestly, I want, I want, I want you to <laughs> have know you that ever sincerely. done how many, how many podcasts have you done? <laughs> <laughs> None. Look, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to help you guys numbers out. Numbers on me yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna learn how off. to take a compliment.
hope you enjoyed <laughs> the part deux of the Michael Gourlay episode. I, I love the ending, or the way that whole thing ended. With yeah, Mike. yeah. It's great. He's the best. <laughs> um, but so I feel like in continuation of just this whole, like us trying to work through some of this episode and experimenting with commenting on some of it, uh, we do have some some thoughts on thoughts. Hashtag thoughts on thoughts. Yeah. And Jay and I are sitting by the candlelight right now on a Friday night. <laughs> the nice, just spending uh, our night with you. Diffuser in the background. Talking about some... things like hyper-reality. <laughs> that is a great segue into the first topic that we were going to revisit. Ooh. So hyper-reality specifically did come up at the very beginning um, of this half of the conversation. Have you watched that video by Kaichi Matsuda? Yes. So that's all. That's the first example that always pops into my head. Another yeah. one uh, that was like a, a good example in uh, recent movies was Ghost in the Shell. And I know there's mixed Ooh, feelings. About, I saw that movie. Yeah. Yeah. People, there was a lot of controversy around like the, the choice sure. of actors and right, actresses right. in that movie and whatnot. But regardless of all that, they did a lot of portrayal of just this inundated sort of world uh, or a world inundated with information and augmented data everywhere right. overlaid on all of the surfaces throughout the city. Um, Which, by the way, oh, uh, before you go on, okay. we're, we're doing a thing where we're going to add some show notes now to our website. Right. Uh, and I've prepped, like, all the notes from this whole episode. So, like, oh, all of the well, links and all of this stuff. So the hyper-reality video link we're going to put up there. Um, at mm-hmm. some point, like hopefully the same day this comes out or sometime shortly yeah. afterwards. Uh, and, and so anyway, so this video that we're talking about, you should have access to it so you can, you can see what we're talking about. Yeah. So if you haven't seen that video or ghost in the shell or any other movies that kind of portray that sort of dystopian future, um, hyper reality as a concept has been around for a while. I believe that it came, uh, specifically from, was this? No, it was a uh, Jean Baudelaire. I love. That. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, am, sounds nice. French philosopher uh, talking about the concept of hyper reality, and basically, um, I probably butchered that name, so forgive me on that. But um, it's essentially the concept of re- concepts or portrayals of real objects or objects that are in uh, natural reality as sort of representations. So if you take something digital and impose it over the real world, you are creating what starts to become a sort of intermingled uh, hyper-reality, something that is more difficult to distinguish the difference between what is naturally real and what is technologically imposed Mm. or augmented on the environment. Mm. That introduces all kinds of uh, complicated problems and considerations yeah possibilities well i don't do you think that hyper reality is actually a risk i mean as like an end state or a dystopian as as i guess the dystopian views of hyper reality um i i guess so there's two parts to it for me one is that i in the idea that there are things that could become confusing about what's real and what's not Mm -hmm. i uh, totally agree and i think in uh, as in all cases, it's going to be used uh, for bad, uh, meaning like you can confuse people, you can torture them, you can – I yeah. mean it's the same thing we do. I think I mentioned this before, but I mean like we do brainwashing and it, it's really a lot of efforts 
in torture. I don't know why I know this so so much about this. Um, but uh, our things like sleep deprivation or whatever, it's like to make people essentially go right. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's to make people go crazy to like admit something. And, and a lot of the research they've done is that people will admit things that actually aren't true. Right. Uh, mm. But that's actually part of their goal is like just get them to do something. <laughs> Well, so I think that's a risk there. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you know, we always come back to that. Like everything, like every technology or essentially anything created by humans, there is a full spectrum or continuum of ways it can be used yeah. for subjective, positive or negative yeah. actions. Hyperreality goes back in um, referring to like literary representation of things even so you can think as far back as even just the first time that we started to write things down and use those as propaganda to convince people of things like that you are then essentially imposing an idea into another person's brain through some sort of medium Mm. uh maybe you could even consider that just the act of communicating to someone about an idea and then that idea becomes a aspect of their reality or a a concept for them which <laughs> I guess as long as we're able to communicate and talk about things that are not ourselves as humans, we have this problem at yeah. a base level. It's not that AR is suddenly making it new. It's just becoming way more visible. <laughs> well, I guess it's like if if we have a hard time distinguishing between what's real and what's fake, like this whole fake news thing. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of that just comes from like, well, we're being presented with information. How do we know? How how do we know who to trust? Yeah, what is true? Right. And that's going to be the case no matter what. And that continues in this XR world. But to your point, like at the, you know, at some point in this episode, <laughs> I don't even know when, um, you had said like, well, it's all just integrated even more. So like it's overlaid yeah. on your real world. and And that is, that's a bit scarier because it just like heightens that problem the same way that okay yes we've always been exposed to this thing like word propaganda through writing through communication uh, even just verbally Mm -hmm. um but when the internet blew up and there's like lots of articles claiming things i mean i remember when when for school we weren't allowed to use the internet as a resource right remember when things like wikipedia were essentially considered extremely unreliable right and now i like use them as bible yeah yeah it's like the first (laughs) thing that i go to look something up (laughs) and And i just like accept it i'm like well that's the truth (laughs) people with umbrellas were beaten (laughs) (laughs) the internet says so it must be real right yeah (laughs) which is a joke but like we all do it (laughs) yeah yeah um i mean even if you know you use wikipedia as a conduit to go and find other research or references yeah uh that are more maybe definitively credible because they're not open sourced um so uh, it it's hard i think that's just like that's a fundamental problem that we deal with um which actually i feel like is an interesting segue into one of the things that you wanted to revisit and talk about in Mm. this space which was um sort of sharing experiences uh in xr it's like if we all fundamentally have this, we struggle, we're going to be struggling with this sort of problem, even more so um, in the age of augmented reality and mixed media and reality, um, sort of like permeating every aspect of life. Um, how do you, like, what what are we, what are we heading towards um, in 
the world of sharing experiences and social media and things like streaming uh, on Twitch, uh, some sort of experience that you go through. Yeah. Well, okay, I want to answer that in a second, but I also did want to go back just quickly on the hyper-reality okay. thing because I I only define that in one way, but I was also thinking about a lot of that video and mm-hmm. uh, is about being over-inundated with stuff. It's not just about... Yeah. Um, like you identify that it is uh, that it is a digital item or whatever. Yeah. But you're just like being inundated with that. And just to close that out, I feel like we will in the same way that we saw this happen with pop ups, it will self-regulate and that people just like no one's going to put up with that shit. Yeah. And and people will gravitate towards experiences that provide them with value that is not overwhelming and Mm. the whole marketing world will function around that i think it was like people just took billboards and were like well how do we do that on the internet literally like a billboard on top and just like flashing in your face Mm -hmm. and um a lot of things still do that but there have become like way more intelligent ways of being able to create a good experience without being inundated with that stuff yeah and i think that that's what will happen but i think that it will take People like, you know, Mike had, had mentioned that they they brought the creator of that video onto Microsoft. People like that, people like Evie Powell who are thinking right. about uh, calm user experiences mm-hmm. and like how to really make that good partnering with the marketing teams and like how and the business teams and how do we, you know, all do this together so that yeah. it's a good experience. Um, so I think that's actually not it's in my head. That is not gonna be the future um kind of that that like uh, the times square everywhere right <laughs> yeah essentially i mean that it will exist example. as times square does mm-hmm. uh but there'll be a, a place to go see and check out and get the fuck out you know yeah that's a good sort of parallel to what mike was talking about in that even though there is all this sort of fragmentation of different pockets and areas and types of worlds in the metaverse um, as a medium, you will like if you want to go to a space that is not cluttered um, and that is not sort of inundated by all this advertisement and whatnot, there will be spaces like that. Right. I guess my I, I still feel I I just haven't I haven't been able to construct or heard constructed um, any sort of really more definitive or solid uh, rationales for why we're not going to be dealing with those problems in AR for the foreseeable future. Like, I I think long-term I'm optimistic that we will ultimately figure out how to not end up in an ultimate dystopia where there's just, you can't escape mm-hmm. the inundation of information and ads and everything throughout life. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody would want to live in that world. But I think what I would love to examine more closely uh, is just what the path to that actually looks like because we're still dealing with this whole construct of how marketing works based off of the original forms of the internet and Mm -hmm. the original forms of attention uh, and devices that we have been exposed to thus far. Yeah. I mean, isn't that kind of the hell that we live in now? Well, we can, but we can look away from our devices. You can get off your computer, you can step up, you can put your phone down, you can leave it behind when you go out in the mountains for the weekend or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about like integrate, integrating digital interfaces, 
mm-hmm. with our bodies in yeah. some foreseeable future? Like, how do you? I am I am skeptical that like ethics alone <laughs> or moral imperative alone is going to stop people from trying to exploit that yeah. and defeat the people that do try to exploit that. Uh, yeah, I don't think that it will be the companies or or whoever is building this stuff and putting it out there. I I think it'll be up to the people. I mean, in the same way that we choose to leave our cell phones behind, there's actually a lot of like mountain ranges where you still get cell service. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that stuff. I mean, like planes have Wi-Fi. It's really hard to escape and you have to choose to escape yourself like you have to choose to be one of those people that's like hey i'm not on social media you choose to leave your phone at home and it all comes down to the human being and them just choosing to do something even when that thing is a bit uh, abnormal at this point i was gonna that that's a good that's a good point and i was thinking about this in the context of social media um specifically in that it's almost now um, a bit of a there's a bit of a stigma um, in many communities against basically abandoning social media or totally unplugging or just being non-participatory in that world. And there's also I, I think it's probably stronger in the millennial and even more so in the the oncoming younger generations. There is a existential sort of fear of not being present in that space because the digital medium social media um things like not uh uh tiktok yeah <laughs> um yeah i don't those, even freaking know i know I, I know that it's a thing but i'm like i it's like if you're not if you don't exist in those spaces you kind of don't exist right it, it's it's not that you can just be in the physical real world and you're a perfectly competent person. I feel like we're going to continue to accrue more of a sort of social imperative or debt mm. um, or responsibility that if you're going to be a responsible and involved member of society and not a digital hermit, yeah. you need to be part of these platforms and so or ecosystems. And at some point, that that opportunity cost uh essentially the the price that you pay for deciding not to have tightly integrated technology as part of your general lifestyle will be too great and you it it won't make sense for people to be completely unplugged i yeah. it just it seems like at some point we could get uh we could reach a stage where having physically integrated like augmented reality Maybe that's contact lenses. Maybe it's literally a neural interface. Um, things that you can't ease, you can no longer easily just put down or turn off because it literally helps you function through everyday life. Yeah, and just do the most basic things in that future. Right. I, you know, you're you make some really great points, and it's making me think about people who live off the grid. Yeah, and that's a really big choice for them, and and yeah. they, you know, are choosing to not have or do a lot of things. And because of that, I guess it ultimately becomes a bit like spiritual for me, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better term, because I agree with you that 
the pressure is only increasing for us to be online, to be on every social service. Like it's not just about – I think at, in the beginning it was almost like people were looked down upon for being tied to Facebook or right, tied to right. Instagram. But at this point, it's like genuinely part of your identity and the pressure to have an online identity, to have essentially your own branding, your own marketing and all of that, it's enormous. It's your it's your presence. Right. Like it's you being involved in the community. Right. It's definitely no is. joke anymore. And I actually, like, I think I told you about this one time. I've only ever written, like, one article on Medium. <laughs> and I'm working on it. But it was, like, that – it was that question. It was essentially, like, do you even exist if you don't have uh, this kind of social media branding? Yeah. And uh, – and I know some people who have stuck with, like, I'm not on that stuff, and they do fine with work. Could yeah. they do better? I mean, I yes, I feel like I you do have to pay a could. price. Yeah, you do. I'm sure you do, but you might be willing to pay that price. I might be like, yeah. you know what? I make enough money. I get jobs done, and I can disappear, and and I'm good with how life is. And that's right. where it becomes also spiritual for me, which is like, well— how do you assign value to life and to yourself? Don't just think about like how the world assigns value to you because that is what you're thinking about when you think about your social identity. Right. Um, but if you, you know, like believe in either higher beings or just believe in a – you don't even need to, I think, but just to like value things outside of how the world sees you. Yeah. And value value yourself outside of that in some way as a human being on this earth and you're like connected and grounded that way, then you can choose to quote unquote like pay the price of not uh, you know, capitalizing on every opportunity that the world is trying to put in front of you. Yeah. I I mean, I totally agree with that. And to be clear, I'm not like ultimately pessimistic about this. Mm -hmm. I I believe, I very strongly believe that there are ways to get through this period and like that progression and, and end up somewhere uh, that is ultimately healthier and beneficial, like net positive. Um, there, I just... I guess right now I am concerned about a number of those pitfalls and those are the things that are bothering me most because I don't see – I'm not yet able to envision a conceptual path even yeah. through those waters yet. Yeah, I know there's got to be one there. There's got to be a number of ways to get through those things. And similarly to like what Mike was saying is like we need more people thinking through those problems even to the depth of like literally write a whole universe of stories yeah. that explores those problems and concepts because I feel like there's not even enough of that yet. Right. Like we need help thinking through it. We do. And we need somebody <laughs> who's good with words to wordsmith it and tell us how to talk about it. Yeah. I I agree with your pessimistic view. I mean what I'm bringing up is more I guess a – it's I do I agree. I, I do think it's only gonna get worse. Um I think it's going to be a huge challenge. And I think the interesting part about that is how do we manage that? How yeah. do we work with that and and prepare ourselves or prepare our like children or whatever it mm -hmm. is. And I think part of that is what I was just saying, which is like it ultimately just comes down to the human beings and like trying to understand your own connection with the world outside of what the world is telling you it yeah. is. And I also think that the same as, you know, it's interesting that there's been a blow up of life coaches 
And I think a lot of people make fun of that. And it's a lot of like younger people. And mm-hmm. I'm down with making fun of stuff all the time. <laughs> but one of my cousins uh, is a life coach. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is that uh, there is something to that probably about like there was a blow up in that the same time that there was a blow up in like being inundated with social media and all of this pressure. And so it's kind of like having uh, maybe uh, like a, a softer form of a psychologist or, or therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I wonder if that will be an increased, you know, job or opportunity, which is like people to help us manage all of this. It's like the, there there are jobs now that are like social media managers. And remember when yeah. that was also a laughing stock? We were like, what right. do you mean? You like just like tweet <laughs> you were, a lot? Yeah. <laughs> you just post on social media. And now it's like, holy shit, I would hire one of those if I could oh, in yeah. a second and just be like, do all this stuff for me because I can't handle it. Yep. Um, and so I think new jobs will pop up that are helping us with all of this. Sadly, that means though that either, again, like it kind of comes down to like, do you have money to spend on it? Are you willing to? Um, and if you don't have that, it's up to you to try and like really manage it yourself or step out of it when you can. Mm. And I think just like kind of any habit, it is really hard to live in a medium world. It's like you have to be on extremes. <sighs> like either you are extremely involved <laughs> yeah, or you are out of it. And And the same thing with like diets, all of that stuff, which is why there are people that are typically like – I'm not on social media at all or like they're really on it. It's mm-hmm. really hard to live in a world where you're sometimes on it and sometimes not. Yeah. Um, it's confusing for your own identity. It's confusing for everyone else. It's, uh, you know, it's like trying to be vegan, you know, but only some of the time and having to explain that to somebody <laughs> or whatever, you know. <laughs> it's like I had a friend yeah. who I, I like knew somebody I'm... who once was vegan except for hot dogs. What? And I was like, yeah. Isn't that bizarre? The, you're you're vegan except for the most horrendously ground up pulverized yeah. meat stick <laughs> that in existence. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, I don't even know well, if that's a good example, but I just like love that story. But, like it's um, so far from being an animal anymore that yeah, I'll eat that. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I don't know, but I mean the point is it's like it's hard to have weird preference, like to find true like balance and go in and out um it's easier to have like really strict rules uh but ultimately i feel like that is kind of what we need to do you know is to be able to go in and go out and like kind of not live in one extreme or the other not be off the grid and not be so into it that you can't get out of it right well while it is effective when it comes to like accomplishing things and in informing habits and all of that and certain aspects of life to be all in versus trying to skirt the line through the middle there are certain aspects i mean there's also a whole nother slew of aspects of life where like balance is the key and i think that's one where like you're not it's probably not optimal for most people to go be hermits because of the oncoming tide of technology And it's also probably not the best outcome for most people to try to stay on the very bleeding edge of these things because the ones – those of us on the bleeding edge are going to pay a price as well as an – or get an advantage from that. The price being, well, you're at higher risk for uh, the dangers of new technology, whether that's exploitation through it or just the fact that it's inherently unstable. Um, or untested yeah so 
Yeah. There's, well, a, there's a happy medium. Yeah, and I, I'm a firm believer that balance is not what I thought balance was for a while, which is that like that? every day you're balanced. Oh. Um, and I think that is a totally <laughs> unachievable goal. Yeah. Uh, I think that balance is, is, is like seasonal, I think is the best analogy, which is that like yeah. you can have like a week of stress and then a couple of days of break or, mm. uh, you know, you can have a bad year and a good year. You can, you know, like balance you have a few months where you like over feel a lifetime. Yeah. yeah. You feel, you have seasons or like epochs or just periods of time where you feel on top of things. And then there's right. others that feel like complete chaos. Right. And others where you're at the lowest of lows. Yeah. And trying to be at this perfect state of zen at all times is kind of an unattainable right uh, a goal yeah and and i guess like i mean i'm sure that people could argue that it's better to yeah have the zen approach like every day or be balanced but for me it's unrealistic and like even just with instagram it's like sometimes i'm on it nonstop and then i don't go on it for months like i basically yeah. like have yeah. people being like you haven't like accepted anything in like a year you know yeah. um the but that's just like that, for me what i'm going through i'm like oh i'm too busy or whatever other times i'm super into it the people know. that are on it on social media a lot it seems to be a common thread that they, it is part of their like lifestyle yeah um it's either that they post literally like everything that they do they're just yeah. posting constantly and that's just one of the main ways that they communicate with the world um or you know that's just that's where their social groups are um and so they're regularly involved through that and that just feels like their natural medium uh, for me it's still like a learning process and it takes a lot of effort it's not necessarily natural yet talking between like you and i or between small groups of friends and whatnot that feels very natural but the social media like blasting out of of your thoughts and messages just wide out in the open doesn't feel natural. I say this while we're we're sitting here recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently I'm a little bit of a hypocrite. <laughs> Such a good point. Such a good point. But this was really hard for both of it us to was. like decide to do oh. that. Um and I think it's easy for us to kind of, you know, record it. It's harder to publish. Yeah. Um which in, you know, your example, it's like you're just kind of like publishing in real time and watching that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's just like people who feel more comfortable doing that. People who have grown to love that because that's like actually where their close friends are. Like maybe they don't have a lot of close friends in person or maybe they're distant. You know, you never know like what's going to draw somebody to that. Um but I feel you on that. There is like a lot of pressure to be comfortable doing that stuff. And I, I am not. Why do you feel like you have not yet really adopted social VR yourself? And you mentioned this off off recording a little bit earlier. And I think it's something that worth exploring for mm. both of us. Because I yeah. also haven't really like embraced that yet. Right. Well, it's interesting because like you had asked me a little bit ago about sharing and mm-hmm. we went back into hyper like reality streaming and right so such a so i think phenomenon. there's like this some sort of a diagram between like sharing and social <laughs> a diagram a, like one a, of those triangles spectrum i don't know something that has, weird yeah yeah um but uh so i struggle with this myself because i i am very social and mm. i have a lot of close friends that I feel like I can talk to, whether they are, you know, a phone call away or whatever. I also have close family. And 
I have never felt very drawn to meeting people online. The only time I was ever like really online, it was never meeting people. It was talking to them. Like I would talk on instant messenger to friends I already knew. Right. And um, I I did kind of like, you know, a bit of the, the fact that I remember with instant messenger that you can like, that was the first time I felt like I could kind of pretend I was somebody like kind of maybe act more confident like because you can think about what you're about to write right. which is very different there's, than there's some predetermination that right. feels like it's lacking in real time conversation right you're going to be super witty you know <laughs> I'm sure I was I can think through witty. my jokes and rehearse them right. before yeah. throwing them out there um, that was you know before they had the dot 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 that shows that you're <laughs> <laughs> you're in the middle of typing for five minutes <laughs> like holy shit Kelly would you just respond I know you're there <laughs> <laughs> Which actually, typically for me, that means I'm typing like five pages. I was going to say of... <laughs> it's usually a novel that's coming down the pipeline. It's not that there's some sort of like really short, concise, witty. Right. One time, I had somebody tell me that they had literally never seen like a certain functionality on like Apple, you know, like on on um, iMessage or whatever it is. Uh, oh. uh. That it said like click here to read more. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't They're know it like, did that either. I'm not even mad. I'm just impressed. Like I don't even <laughs> I've never seen that before. <laughs> it was like already in the cloud. They're like we can't store this. Um anyway, so okay, so so I personally have never really been drawn to on- to meeting people online. So maybe let's simplify this down a little bit. What is not appealing to you still about Alt space or or like hopping on alt space uh, or rec room or any of those social platforms. I think that's a good question. I mean, first of all, I don't I do not think at all about it being uh something that I don't like or what was the word you use? Like unpleasant. Not what is like, what is not appealing, not meaning appealing, that you're yeah. neutral. It's not right. enticing to you. Uh, enticing is a is is a better word I would say for me because I would say like yeah, appealing. What it, what it's isn't, not that it's not appealing. Yeah. In fact I wish that I was like better at it or or more like yeah. into it. I guess, um, yeah, what has failed to entice you? Yeah, well, I think still. one is like the I guess the point that I was getting at from before was like I'm um I don't personally need to like fill any gaps social gaps that's part one okay right so at a base level at a base level i feel like when i'm going to do things in vr uh or or otherwise i'm not looking to to meet people i'm looking to like experience something on my own right and when you do want to fill in a gap meaning that you're like maybe you've you feel like you need some socializing time you don't go to VR, you're going to... People I know, honestly, like yeah. I go to bars and sit by myself. Like I've never I had trouble too. meeting people. I'll... Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, so there's, there are some advantages here that are worth mentioning. Is that just I'm like, a woman. Well, oh. <laughs> well, yes, that is, that is actually, yeah, I think I would have a much harder time, although I've definitely done it before, but it is not easy, as easy for me to just go sit down at a bar and have people end yeah. up coming and talking to me. Yeah. Um it, as as a guy, I feel like this is probably a common thread. You have to be more uh outgoing. Outgoing or, or take the initiative on right. that. Otherwise you're just sitting there at the bar yeah. by yourself. Um <laughs> but I do often sometimes I'm like, I just need to get out of the house. So I don't necessarily 
uh, think I want to go into VR, I'm like, I'm going to go to a cafe or I'm going to go to some sort of public environment, even if I don't want to necessarily talk to a bunch of people right now. Yeah. I just want to be out in a space where there are people. Mm -hmm. And I think some people substitute that with things like alt space or rec room. Totally. Um, and it's not, I mean, sure, there are people who do that because they literally can't uh, go out in the real world or the, or the natural reality and go do that because yeah. of some sort of uh, disadvantage or, um, or, or they don't have that particular privilege of being able to walk, perhaps they're handicapped, or perhaps they have like extreme social anxiety in real life or any number of uh, challenges like that. Yeah. There, it, there also seems to be a lot of people that just become fond of that medium as a social conduit over or maybe I, I don't know. It's not it's not a re, I would it's not a replacement, but but so many people even choose being on online on social media um, yeah. over over some of those kinds of like in-person interactions. Right, and I feel like I'd be interested in you and I are alike. Yeah, so I think we, it's almost we need like we are in our own echo chamber right we now. Need a, we need um, other perspectives here, <laughs> but yeah, we would need. And maybe you know, if anybody's listening who feels like they They're are the different side. from us, like yeah, like on the other side of preferring to meet people online or 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 for whatever reason drawn to that. Any stuff. other part of that spectrum? Yeah, I would love to hear more about yeah what drives those those sorts of tendencies or like why you prefer social why you enjoy social media as much as maybe you do or why VR social VR has been so compelling. Um it's not that it's not compelling to me. Mm -hmm. I've I've met up with my friend Forrest on the East Coast a number of times yeah. um, in spaces like Altspace and Rec Room um, or like Mozilla Hubs. And it's it's really cool. Um, there there are still problems, though, like getting nauseous. Like you can't do it. I still can't do it for very long. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, some people that are like pretty hardcore about it would say like that's a tolerance thing that like you get used to it over time. But, but you, you, have, is it, you get nauseous in social VR apps? Well, ones like in Rec Room specifically, it's just like if you're if you're smoothly moving around like with a joystick rather than teleporting. Oh, it's right, like right, right. it's the Sorry, desire. Totally true. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's it's, not just Rec Room. That's a lot of different things. Yeah. Right? Any yeah. any yeah. VR like immersive sort of VR setting where you are smoothly moving through the environment rather yeah. than teleporting. It it can very quickly become nauseating. Yeah, and it's such a it it feels so unnatural still to me to teleport because I grew up playing games where you would be first person and smoothly moving right. through your environment. So I just want to be able to do that. It feels more natural, and that's still a point of frustration. Right, and just like a, a quick side note, the so that's all um, uh, locomotion within within VR is what we're talking about, and. Uh, yeah. teleporting is the, for anyone new is like the process of you kind of like select a place you want to be and you, yeah. and you teleport. You like cast out a little spot on the ground, like 20 feet ahead of you yeah. and you just phase over there. Right. And people have made some advancements like that. I think, um, for example, in alt space, I think they kind of like create, a an aura around you or a vignette yeah. so that um, it right. kind of closes some of your, it's almost like it gives you blinders a it's, bit. It's like, it's the motion that you feel from your periphery that bothers you the most. Right. Yeah. And it definitely helps what they do. Right. With alt space. I, that's, that's probably like the best forward yeah. motion experience that I've had in VR. Now the problem is that 
also has like its own kind of annoyances or whatever in a lot of experiences. And some people who are very experienced and have a low or sorry, a high tolerance for for locomotion, maybe a tolerance, they toggle around the same as you would with like a joystick on a regular video game. Basically, it feels more like walking through. Like you get the you get a similar experience to just walking through physical reality, right? In that you're not you're not jumping ten feet ahead right. of yourself, suddenly. which is cool. Except that it can make you extremely sick. And actually, yeah. I remember one of the, the very first experiences I did in VR uh, was like some trenches experience where I used like a joystick and I like you know was out for the night. So um, those are. Uh, Right. So sorry. So th- mm-hmm. definitely challenges. And by the way, uh, the under presents, um, which is a, an experience oh, right. yes. um, that is in the quest now uh, and it's created by Tender Claws, who I just love their stuff. Mm-hmm. They have a crazy new like locomotion um, approach, which is that you actually grab the earth and pull it towards you. In order to move through the environment. Yes. Oh, and it doesn't, it doesn't make me yet, sick so. at all. Really? Yeah. I mean, it like distorts the world, but anyways, I uh, I highly suggest that huh. uh, experience in general. It's like um sleep no more kind of. Uh, it's like a, uh, I mean, speaking of social experiences, actually, that is a social experience because like everyone sleep no more. Well, sorry, sleep or no more, but also the under presents. I mean, sleep no more is like a, a an immersive um, theater, you know, a play in New York, yeah. uh, and. Um, I mean, people can go look that up if you want to learn more about it, but it's fascinating, like takes place on multiple floors and you can have like a million different and a different experience every time you go in. Um, and you're just kind of observing, uh, uh, lots of different things happening in a play, uh, on different floors and you choose like what you're going to observe, like non-linearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, the under presents is similar to that, uh, and I haven't done a ton of it yet. Like, I really loved it. I just started it, and I'm going to go back in and try more. Um, but what I know is, like, that locomotion thing and also that it's very much designed like Sleep No More. So it's like yeah. a social experience where uh, you're you're all masked mm-hmm. and you're all, like, um, going in, doing, like, observing different shows, uh, doing your own, like, um, puzzles and, and all this stuff. So, um Anyways, uh, I wanted to bring that up because of the locomotion, because you had brought that up about the social right. thing. Like, you can't stay in there for very long, which makes sense. Um, and I think the other thing is, like, uh, it's funny because with the under presents, that is a different feeling. It's like you're not going in there to meet people. You're all masked. Right. It's a social experience that you're doing, like, for a play or something else. Yeah. And you might be working with other people, but that's not you really, just, like, You know there are the other draw. real people. Yeah. It's not so much of, like, hi, you, let's talk one-to-one and get to know each other right? somehow or go do things together. It's more just these are real entities right? sharing the same space. Yeah, if you think about like networking and like formal networking events, I mean like how stressful is that? You know, it's like (laughs) who likes that? You know, it's like even social people feel like weird with that whole thing. And Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, I think that the way that any like meeting people socially online is just like a way of doing that where you essentially can just like disappear at any moment, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, you don't have to like get dressed up and you don't have to like be as awkward and like you're, you're, you're removed a bit so you can like plan what you're going to say right. or, or observe without necessarily committing and all of that. Large conferences are almost like that um, in, in that you can, you can hop into the event, you can go and meet as many people as you want 
until you are completely socially drained and have not no more energy to interact anymore and then just leave yeah. or disappear because there's so many people there that nobody's going to know the difference anyways. So it's like almost when you're at those large events and conferences, it's almost like every person as an individual can be invisible and, and go away if they want to Yeah. Um, in a weird way. Right. A friend of mine actually hacked that whole thing uh, in that rather than <laughs> – for better or worse, rather than taking the time to to try to meet a few people and really connect with them, mm-hmm. he just basically went in and wrote down all like as he literally just he came in there with one of the lunch boxes that they were handing out um, and then just started collecting emails from people. And it was like, hey, I'm going to do a newsletter and send out a large email to everybody that gives me their email with everyone else's emails on it. So if you want to just get 150, 200 new LinkedIn or contacts today, Hmm. I'm just going to collect all of your emails and then I'll send them all out to everybody else as well. Yeah. So we can all just add each other. So he just went around and I mean, he has no problem talking to lots of people, obviously, but he's like, I'm not going to worry about actually like trying to remember anybody. (laughs) I'm just going to collect as many as possible. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds pretty smart. (laughs) Except that I don't really like want... I, I, no, know, I never got into the whole thing of like just trying to get as many contacts as possible. Network for networking sake. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things I was just thinking about um, is that uh, going back to like what makes me hesitant about social VR or really just like any type of online meeting, I I think it relates back to a little bit of that book I was talking about, the like talking to strangers, which is like how much we rely on on like people's uh, w- what we what we make of like how somebody looks or their expressions or like right. just like an intuition that we have. And I have always found like considered myself a a very a person who at least functions off of her intuition. That doesn't mean that I'm correct all the time. Sure, um, but you but it like you removes, pay attention to those things more exactly. And I think that what online experiences socially do for me is it removes that that like superpower if yeah, that's still feels missing like, right and it's like if that feels like a superpower to me where i'm like that's how i create trust that's how i you know that's how you empathize with someone to right. be endearing to them and make a good connection right it's like how you know exactly and like how you can pinpoint in a party who's kind of like maybe somebody you want to talk to or sitting in a corner like you know you you strike up conversation around something and i i'm sure that that stuff exists in like social vr and all of that but i can't seem to get over the hump of like i don't know how to function in that world when it strips me of of that capability which i rely on so much yeah it just feels like such a core aspect of how you communicate with the world and how you interpret the sentiment and the feeling yeah. and perception of everyone else, regardless of how true it is. I feel like we keep on coming back to this book that we've both read now mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, <laughs> oh, did you finish it? I did. Yeah. I did. Uh, it was So Talking, Malcolm, Malcolm yeah. Gladwell released another book recently. Talking to Strangers. And didn't yeah. we bring it up on the last – we brought it up at Maybe some we, point. We, we probably did. We've mentioned it before, I think. But yeah. um, uh, but that's, that's what we, we keep on going back to is just this whole unreliability – of your own perception of what truth is or or genuine expression is for somebody else. Like just the utter um, 
incompetence of our individual ability to interpret someone else's actions yeah. or expressions and know what they actually mean or what their real sentiment is. Yeah, which I, you know, I'm glad that you finished this and now we're just talking about it because I was very eager to hear your thoughts. But it's like <laughs> he spends the whole book. I honestly feel like I'm not. I actually suggest the book, but I'm about to like shit on it a little bit. <laughs> I was going to say it's actually worth going through. It, I think yes. there's a lot of good content. But... There is. But let me just give like a quick takeaway. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's worth reading because he's good at writing um, fascinating behavioral situations from real life like for right. example talks about uh it's you all know, very relevant yeah like judges uh judging people based off of what they wear and how they respond to something uh competing with automated systems who are better at judging people if they're going to be like a repeat offender so these things are fascinating subject well better is a questionable term but right. for, anyway, that was that wait. was the point of of it being brought up in the book right yeah. yeah anyways fascinating tales definitely like worth reading or listening to but uh the, he just spends the whole book saying that we can't rely on our intuition which of course is like a complete dagger to my soul <laughs> and then proceeds to spend absolutely no time talking about what to do about that yeah he just like comes back and he's like but if we all just doubted our intuition and we're super skeptical all the time, like the one dude he keeps bringing up in the book yep. who like does that and is actually like he's the one who like caught Bernie Madoff or like knew about him the whole time mm -hmm. or something. And, and like, just kept doubting himself. Yeah. And he's like, but we'd all be miserable if we lived that way. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was like, oh. I don't know what to do with this book. It's like you just broke me down and then told me like, that's OK. Just keep being you. I, I don't know. It felt like he just kind of presented no conclusion at the end other than, yeah, we're unreliable. And so are you. And you can't trust your intuitions of what anyone else does or says. Right. So and then it's like that was just an ellipsis. It dot, dot, dot trails off right. into the distance. And Malcolm Gladwell just uh, rides off on a horse into the sunset <laughs> to go write his next book right. or continue with his podcast. Malcolm Gladwell does great work, by the way. Yeah, he does. I yeah. love And actually, I'm pretty interested yeah. in listening to his podcast. I keep, I keep forgetting about it. <laughs> Revisionist but. history, right? Okay. Um, um, yeah, I've heard very good things about that. Is that I that's what it's called? Yes. Or, okay. Um, I haven't listened to it too much myself yet, but it's been on my list. Mm. Um, yeah, he's a cool he's a cool dude. But yeah, the, the, the thing that I, I was left with is just... Uh, I, what, what do I do about that, though? Like, there's no... The conclusion was essentially you can't trust your senses and you can't trust your intuitions. And then you're just left there. Right. That is, and so you, you have to now just kind of reconstruct or probably just lean back on your old assumptions about everything that everyone does. Right. There's not... Like, what else do you do at the end of the day? Yeah. It just wasn't I, a satisfying conclusion. It was not. Um, <laughs> but I guess like in, you know, in connection to the social VR thing, if if he has a point, then it's like, well, if I'm relying so much on my intuition, which apparently doesn't fucking matter anyways, <laughs> then why would I care? I just go into social VR and be like, I don't know, I guess I'll form some opinions that are probably wrong about these people too, you know? Yeah. Um, but also I think that um, actually – what he was saying is that we are often wrong and we are mostly wrong when there is like a miss that that the problem is mismatching, which is that yeah. somebody can appear nervous, with, which we associate as like um, guilty. Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case. And so yeah. we are sometimes correct 
Um, the problem is when we are incorrect mm. and it creates a really big problem because like we're assuming things about people that are incorrect. Yeah, those assumptions ripple in uh, to create very unfortunate circumstances for all of these people mentioned right. throughout the story. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a tale as old as time. It's like, don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, or or here's a, I feel like this is maybe a better conclusion to take away is just always strive to be open to the, the possibility that you're not correct <laughs> about oh your assumptions. <laughs> that totally ties into like the... Um, the echo chambers or like oh, oh, oh. you know like, <laughs> yes yeah 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 <laughs> because one of the things uh i guess in conclusion before we move on i'm like <laughs> okay well i don't hate social vr i want to try it more yeah. and actually i do want to say that i was like recently in alt space and um i was trying to figure something out uh I think that was like right before I talked to you for some reason or i don't know but uh when we were like trying to record that episode maybe right over the holiday Oh, because yes, because I was trying to ask them like how I can get it to like do a recording of us or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I went into like the fire, the like com common area. Mm -hmm. And uh, but the problem was I was on Mike's right. quest. Yeah. So they saw you as an admin Mike, right. in all space. Right. So FYI, for anyone that's listening, Mike and I are together. We live together. You were wearing person, Mike's the skin. The person that... of this episode. <laughs> and um. And yeah, and I, I was wearing like, cause he had worked on alt space. So even though he doesn't really technically anymore, he yeah. has like a special thing that says he works for alt space. So unbeknownst to me, I go into alt space as Mike, mm -hmm. not really thinking about that fact. And, uh, and, uh, everyone like was talking to me and then they're like, Oh, like, you know, saying something about that. I'm like, no, I'm just his girlfriend. Like, I'm just here trying to ask a question. And they were all super, super nice. And and eventually they were just like, you know, you should probably like take that, you know, you not should do something about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like not wear the tag, but I got nervous. Don't impersonate somebody online. <laughs> well, as, yeah, as I got nervous, I was like, they were like, oh, don't, you know, you can just go into whatever, whatever, remove the badge or whatever they called it. Settings. Yeah, yeah. the settings cool. and change it. And I just panicked and was like, no, I'm going to leave. And like, you can just like hit the home button, you know? Yeah. And they, as I'm like leaving, they're like, no, you should stay and talk to us. Just like remove the badge, you know? Yeah. And they were all super, super nice. <laughs> and you know, it makes ether. me think of this whole thing where I'm like, you know, I should go into it more. They have really great people like yeah. working there and being welcoming. And I've heard so many amazing stories mm -hmm. of meeting other people that I should really like give it a chance. It's almost like. It's this weird um, contrast of like I consider myself social. I I'm pretty like adventurous and all of this stuff in the real world. Yeah. And then people who are shy tend to be like adventurous in the digital world. Right. <laughs> you know. And so it's Somehow like somehow. But when I get out. into the digital world, I'm extremely shy. And like I am incompetent. I am not good at posting. I don't know how to social media. Yeah, what yeah. do I do with all these things? <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to uh, to like go go navigate that that think world is, and talk to people. I think this is a worthy challenge for 2020 is okay. to just continue to try, yeah, uh, social experiences and get better at that. I will definitely like take this as a challenge to come back on this podcast and talk about my adventures in the social VR world. Throw down the gauntlet. Okay, all right. <laughs> What is that? It was like an echo. Oh. Of, of, like, 
Because we just did a gauntlet throw in like got the it. middle of a giant got arena. It, it. Yeah, okay. And, and okay. now it has been it has been written. Okay. <laughs> the only thing is I really need to get like my own quest or something. I'm like, oh God, I'm going to do this all as Mike. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You do need to. Or they need friggin' Oculus. I should be able to sign into my Oculus, Oculus account. It's the super quest, annoying. Yeah, it definitely needs just let me get into a different profile. Which all, it's not just the quest. All the headsets don't have that ability, I'm pretty yeah. sure, for you to like sign in and out of different profiles. But Anywho. I mean, but if it's a he- if it's a headset that is, has an integrated uh, computer. Yeah. Like the device, it's a standalone device. It needs to have multiple profiles. Yeah. For multiple users. For sure. I, like computers yeah. have. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's just on. like, it's Come 2020. On, it's 2020. That's it's a 2020. standard, like, just digital I love persona that's a thing. feature. It's like in 2020 now, like, <laughs> everything is expected. Um, <laughs> I had this vision uh, just a few minutes ago yeah. of this, like, not a, in the style of a, of a political cartoon, um, but of a person. Uh, standing there, and they're they're taking off their headset, yeah. And at the same time, they're kind of sleuthing out of another skin, like a snake uh, shedding its skin. Ooh. And it's like the headset comes off, and the skin of a different body or persona sleuths off of them at the same time. And it's like they're they're taking off their jumpsuit of their avatar. Whoa. Yeah, I don't, you know, I do with that what it. you will. Yeah, I mean, well, with like haptics and, you know, tactile feedback or whatever, we could be putting on like skin suits. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, from like the literal perspective. I'm just like thinking from like there's the virtual persona or the mm-hmm. online persona. And then there is you when you take that off, you're like back in your natural reality. Yeah. Persona yeah. yourself. Or those alternate selves. Anyway, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like all famous people that are really su- well. Sorry, this. <laughs> I'm gonna backtrack. Wow, on that. broad generalization. <laughs> broad strokes. All famous people who ever lived. <laughs> okay, let me redo that. So I have a theory that a lot of a lot of successful famous people have gotten that way because they created an alter ego. Right. Like a second character. function through. And that has been proven and proven again. Like Beyonce has Sasha Fierce. Lady Gaga I had that theory about and she literally just said it in an interview with Oprah because um, she used to be pretty different. Like if you look at old stuff about yeah. her and then she changed. Um, like Katy Perry ha- used to have to put on like really crazy outfits, you know, like mm. all of that stuff. Um I could come up with a guy's example just like real quick. I can't think of any. But um but anyways, you get my idea. So <laughs> I it's think kind of like that. It seems like it's a natural uh just exaggeration or extremity mm-hmm. of what happens with your different social groups. Yeah. You know, like you pro- you act a little bit different around all of these different people. Right. Um or like slightly different slices of yourself. Yeah. Heavily based off of their perception of you and what you know of that. Right. Like like when you go back to your parents' house. And suddenly you're half back in childhood Kelly uh, suit, yeah. you know? I'm like, mom! Yeah, you're like, you feel like a kid again, <laughs> unfortunately, because you're like, I'm an adult. I, <laughs> Don't I treat wanted, me that way. I wanted spaghetti! <laughs> That's like actually what happens. <laughs> but, this, uh, this, yeah. It's always something that I've struggled with. But yeah, I okay. feel like it's just like that, but you have an entire country or world of parents that perceive you in a certain way right well you know what i feel like there is something about like for some reason shouting to the world is different than like when you're like posting something uh 
somewhere can feel different than like talking to your friends or family about it. Like sometimes it like gives somebody that superpower. Like they feel like they can hide behind something, Mm -hmm. even though everyone can look at it and say it's that person. Um, and so they're like functioning through some sort of alter ego and that like the the very people who like state everything that's going through their mind yeah. online don't say a fucking word in person. And so yeah. it's like they are functioning through some some sort of alter ego. Yeah. It's like it's your social media voice. I feel like even like in writing, we've used that term for as long as writing has been a thing to mm. just describe different perspectives or like yeah. different voices that you might use yeah. when when writing something. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I just thought of an interesting social experiment, which is there's the whole fake it till you make it. And I wonder <laughs> yeah. like what it would be like to go on a social VR app and just like pretend to be something like pretend to be just really confident. Di- oh, or pretend. I was thinking like a dragon or something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, pretend to be a pickle, and then that is your new persona. How would Kelly Pickle behave? <laughs> I can't get over it. Like, I'm just imagining me in one of those like weird, you know, like I, you said dragon, but I keep picturing the T Rex costume. Yeah, yeah, the and inflatable T Rex. Like, going around social VR is like I, I don't know. You're just like a like T-Rex. a sumo inflated T Rex. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and like, what would that do for my do for my personality? No, I, I mean, I. <laughs> that's not what I was talking. about. I mean, about. <laughs> I feel like you could probably look at the real world example of mascots for sports teams. Yeah. Like in high school, you know that really quiet kid that then put on the mascot suit and is like super animated and crazy out on the football field I during guess. the games? I can believe it. I don't think I ever knew who was the mascot. If you've ever put on if you've ever put on a suit that covers your your full face. Yeah. It's like it's that whole mask psychology thing where if you can't if you if you feel like you are a flamingo with your head in the sand and no you can't see anybody else yeah and you think everyone else sees you as a different thing it's like suddenly your whole perception of how you need to act changes right and you may or may not be like uninhibited on so many levels right well i mean it's like there's probably something connected there with just like you know certain like uh, outfits for sex fantasies right it's like oh, you're literally yeah, like pretending like... <laughs> you know it's like you're putting on a di- it's like that enables you yeah. to have a different personality and have a different experience yeah like take on a different role right than maybe yeah. you would naturally tend to be like maybe more the the whole like dom versus uh oh gosh. sub yeah dom subs and doms yeah so like the whole like the dominant individual and the submissive one yeah like maybe you're normal normally not quite on one side of that spectrum and you right. want to play that out right yeah yeah anyways this all that's goes the whole sex the vr is, yeah well vr porn and sex in vr i think or like whatever it's so fascinating <laughs> yeah uh that's... so we'll intelligildonics um oh so yeah we're gonna ED. do an episode dedicated to that um anyways i don't know where we were social we were we were gonna we were gonna start talking about echo chambers yeah i mean i think just one of the things that like the whole conversation with mike made me think about so he had brought up this term that was like the marketplace of ethical standards which was essentially that we will choose uh where to live in vr or in the metaverse according to where we felt most comfortable right. ethically. Yeah. And 
you know, it's interesting, like tying that to to the social VR conversation. I was just talking with someone about how uh, one of the social VR apps, like I'm not going to use any specifics because I don't like have permission to share, but um, it was just like they had created there was somebody on Reddit who basically complained that it was so um, LGBTQ friendly. Yeah. Did I say all those letters? In they the... complained that it was so? Yeah. Like, yeah. They, they didn't like that. They uh, thought it was oh, like right. pressuring them. Um, I mean, oh, you know, yeah. it's just somebody yeah. who, who doesn't believe in that stuff. And they, or doesn't, yeah, just they don't feels agree uncomfortable with it. They with feel how... totally. Yeah. Yep. And, um, and, and argued that like, the people who run it are making it that way and it's like well the people who run it are like yeah we They're, are so that's that's their agenda that's their their right. their philosophy right and their principles and so it's like okay the person who doesn't feel comfortable there well they're gonna look for a different social space right. that doesn't feel um inundated with you know not that anything is like actually inundated with that but they're essentially they're going to find a place where they feel uh more comfortable whatever that place is if mm-hmm. even if maybe that's never in vr and let's hope so <laughs> well but, no. they'll <laughs> yeah they <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think there is space for everyone in their own little corners i guess that is really the fundamental concern though and maybe I feel like sometimes maybe I just it's not even worth worrying about because at the end of the day, what have we done in reality on the Internet? And now we're probably going to do the same thing in all of the virtual worlds as mm-hmm. well. It is going to be a full spectrum marketplace. Yeah, We're going to have all these tiny little nooks of humanity. And because of that, because of having everything from the most moderate of middles to the most extreme of... Uh, of edge cases and very uh, not necessarily normal groups um, on on the very far extremities of that whole existence. That's just how it's going to be. I don't, I don't, I don't know how we would, we would ever be able to bring humanity, like people in general into a more central, like, unified totally. agreement. Yeah, yeah. Just... And, and I also, th- yeah, I think there's a lot of danger to trying to do that. I mean, that's like right. trying to create one race. So, um, yeah, I, I, it, it's such a tough subject. I mean, I think, like, even with some of these social apps, they have to already decide, well, what are they going to do about white supremacists trying to organize meetings or groups right. <laughs> in those spaces? What yeah. are they supposed to do if they kick them out? I mean, I think Facebook just had... Um, you know, they've had a lot of issues with that, too. Of like, well, what do they monitor? What do right. they remove? Do they filter out fake news? Right. Like fake political news? Yeah. It's, um, you know, people are, I feel like, pretty harsh with opinions about this stuff. But I find it to be very gray. Like, how yeah. can you say, I, I well, hate... people are polarized in right. their opinions. Yeah. Harsh, um, I mean, that... Right, I, I think fair. they're. I think people yeah. have legitimately strong feelings, but yeah, yeah. they're very polarizing. Yeah. Uh, yes, you're right. That was probably a, not the right word to use. Well, I guess. I guess yeah. I just mean like it's not so black and white and cut and dry to me. Yeah. Um. As as lends well to really solid arguments, uh, which I think like people who are good at making arguments have to be polarized. It's just like when you're writing a, yeah. you know, a thesis or, or whatever. Can... It's like you have to choose one side. Well, we were just complaining about how Malcolm Gladwell's book didn't come to an easy, like, straightforward conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> 
like no, it, it actually, wasn't satisfying because there was I no. It, I think he could <laughs> have no argued resolution. if he had made good arguments both ways. Yeah. But it's one thing to write an entire thesis and then in the ending paragraph be like, just kidding. I want to like I'm going to argue the other thing. You know, yeah, like yeah. he was proving something only to disprove it in like two I sentences. Think you could come up with a stronger, conclusive set of actions that are more defined yeah. than what were laid out at the end of the book. Right. Rather Anyways. than, yeah. <laughs> we're Anyways, over it. We're over it. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> we're going to leave that alone. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I highly recommend the book. Can't recommend it enough. <laughs> um, so, uh, but okay, so, so yes, yeah, so it's tough. Basically, it was like, well, we, with essentially like, okay, you're choosing what world you're going to live in. Like, like some of the conclusions yeah. from the Mike conversation is like, we're going to self-regulate. Uh, we are going to find our own pockets the same way as we have uh, on the internet. Like mm-hmm. we have certain private shared areas that people go on and then pro- common areas where everyone argues and all of that. Yeah. Um, I feel, yeah, I feel like putting it this way in that you kind of, rather than getting stuck on the fact that there are so many disagreeing parties, and essentially there always have been as long as there were parties in the first place and tribes. Rather than getting stuck on that, you accept that as kind of the state of being human and having subjective experience and upbringing and culture. Yeah. You move past that and say, okay, maybe let's focus on figuring out how to create more healthy interactions between those different tribes because the tribes are going to exist it's like a fundamental component of human experience and Mm -hmm. psychology so how do we how do we uh defuse the volatility of interactions online in the current state yes because right now it's terrible right (laughs) so there's ways we can do that and improve that i think that's a good question um and a great way of approaching it i i feel like so the real question I had coming out of all of that is like, okay, so because I'm going to yeah. if I can mentally get there, I'm going <laughs> to pull it back to that. But so far, I haven't been successful with this. <laughs> so so basically, um, if we let's say like we talked about the death of nations and nations are reborn into the the marketplace of ethical standards. So there could be a lot of positives to that. Like, I think even you brought up in the episode, like, kind of like, okay, well, if right now in the U.S. we had a civil war, which we kind of are in one in its own way. Um, a so, cyber civil war. Right. Well, <laughs> well, what if what if we could just choose, like, we're all, like, okay, agree to disagree. Yeah. And have our own spaces, but the problem is that we are we are we're all part of one country. We're though. all part of one country, and we're deciding rules, and we can't get anywhere because we disagree yeah. about the rules we want to create and the rules that we want to live by. Yeah. So if we could just literally be like, "Hey, you know what? Moving forward, you get to choose." You know, a uh, uh, Republican, Democratic, whatever, or like you know, like, and we're gonna create these worlds we're gonna create this new virtual world which lives by these standards and it's like come you know essentially like a revolution and be like come come live by these standards not the ones of this country and the ones of the country are dissolved and everyone has to choose their place in the virtual world 
And and so if that was the case, is that healthy or is that unhealthy? Like, would we all be happier living with people? Wouldn't we be able to get more stuff done? Uh, because we're all like, we're not going to all agree on everything, but we could at least have a chance to be like, you know what? I want to live in this world where we are, um, where we do accept kind of like I was just listening to like the churches are having to go through this. Like right. they're having to separate because uh, one truly believes in supporting, you know, the LB, LGBT. LGBTQ. <laughs> Sorry. LGBT, <laughs> LGBTQ um and you know community and and one is like that is literally like not what our faith is based on. Yeah. And you can choose to be angry at those people, but at the end of the day it's like they've been living their whole life and and all of that stuff that's literally their religious belief and we built this country on like religious freedom. Yeah. And and that's a really tough thing to talk about. So if they want to live in that world, but we just don't want to live in their world, well then let's create two separate worlds as long as we can not kill each other over it, right? As long as we yeah. can like live live and let live. <sighs> And so if we can create those worlds virtually, well, then is there ultimately, let's say we could create those worlds virtually and and promise like and and, and know that there would be no war Oof. or something like no <laughs> cyber war or whatever. So so then we would literally all be living in like really true kind of echo chambers. But we're not. Is it really an echo chamber when it's just like, no, we all just agree to live by these beliefs. Well, we all <laughs> this connects to solipsism, which okay. is all of us living in our own experience right and not actually being able to truly connect to anyone else's so yeah. at the end of the day we're all kind of trapped in our own little bubble mm -hmm. this whole this whole joke like the 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 end of the recording with mike we were talking down this line yeah. of like what if neil stevenson writes a story uh, about a world or a dystopian future where we're all living in our own filter bubbles and can't communicate to anyone else that whole joke and and that whole line of logic is just surrounding this this idea right. that we are all trapped in our own minds. Yeah. Um. So that's solipsism. We should come back to that. I'm going to put a pin in that. Okay. Um. Probably won't find our way back, but that's we fine. may not. Yeah. But let's jump. I want to jump back to this whole sort of like picture that you're painting real yeah. quick. There is a fundamental difference in the virtual in virtual existence in like virtual reality in the um, in the digital realm that does not necessarily exist in natural physical reality. Mm. We all evolved in a world where there are limited resources. And so we evolved to have to contend with those resources and have to struggle to have enough. But if we're sharing a infinite, essentially layerable digital reality we can create as many worlds as we want with infinite space essentially so we can have essentially infinite fragments of different groups and people and communities all having the resources and space that they need to feel safe on some level but i i fundamentally kind of struggle with the idea of that actually being a good direction for collective humanity mm -hmm. so i almost i feel like this is almost like this is a this is getting down to like a philosophical problem or debate between a sort of like collectivist view of hey we shouldn't all just embrace our infinite individuality and just go off cast aside the rest of society and just take our own little group and do what we want mm -hmm. and every other little group goes and does whatever they want and then we're no longer we don't have to bump into each other anymore. So we just create a bunch of independently 
non-cooperative groups. Mm -hmm. So what happens to humanity at that point? (laughs) Exactly. And if like, let's say that was like made everyone happy and there were no wars, is that world, is that what world peace looks like? It sounds like that would be very satisfying to all of the individuals in all of their individual and small groups. Isn't that fascinating? But so then it's like then we drop our whole collective identity as a species and right. like our purpose, right? And then you could imagine it's like some form of Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> like the the you know the families like you're not allowed to connect with each other, and then you're like finding loves that live in other bubbles, right? If you don't have any reason to, if, if there's no utility to interacting with the other groups because you don't need anything from them, yeah, then we can all just create digital islands for ourselves right and maybe you don't want to be completely by yourself so you just create a infinitely separated filter island for you and your people right isn't this why like ambassadors exist though it's like so then you have ambassadors (laughs) who like travel to the other bubbles oh god so you have like these virtual explorers that are like i am not satisfied here in my own virtual bubble i'm gonna venture out and go and be an emissary and find out who else is out there well that too but then like i mean ambassadors as like they are responsible for the relationship between but it why does there even on like because of the very reason that you're saying because somebody would decide like i don't think it's healthy for us not to know nor is it in our best you know idea of of domestic protection or whatever you want to call it uh, to not know anything about to be completely disconnected from these other bubbles so uh not to mention i mean you know there's real life actually still exists in this situation so it's like presumably we'd yeah. actually be living well, you know, still together. So. You could you could project far enough ahead that there was even an episode of uh, Black Mirror that started to approach this this conclusion, mm-hmm. which is that when we all eventually pass away, we get stored in this server rack, essentially, where like our conscious digital self gets to live out however many lifetimes it wants to in San Junipero, mm. right? So like. If there is a future where we all are able to digitally manifest and not have to worry about uh, walking the the natural reality anymore, we that that future could potentially look like a sort of infinitely fragmented multiverse of realities. <laughs> <laughs> Parallel existences of of the 80s and 90s grunge and all of that. I love how this is like late on a Friday night because my brain literally just exploded and I'm like, okay, I gotta go. (laughs) I think we're done. I think that was the the episode. Oh, God. I guess ultimately like that. Yeah. Is it unhealthy? Is it unhealthy? What are the pros and cons of that future? These are these are such big questions. I feel like if if our goal as humans is to explore the real like natural universe, yeah. it's probably not it's probably objectively not novel. It's not yeah. utilitarian for us to to hide away in our own infinitely right. fractal universes and never leave Earth or never leave the solar system or whatever. This is like, okay, speaking of uh, science fiction authors, it's like what I want is somebody Mm -hmm. to write a utopia, essentially, uh, like a utopian vision 
of that because I feel like we normally use dystopia to to understand like how we want to prevent it or to to like warn us against all that stuff. Yeah. But this idea of like a utopia, I know that so many people are going to be angry with like how I'm <laughs> phrasing this, but I'm like, if you imagine like somebody writing a, a utopian view of how all that could work out, it would make yeah. us think about, well, what are we missing in that quote unquote utopian? I was going to say view. It- I feel like all most utopian stories always end up just being a dystopia in Right. They are actuality. a dystopia in their own way or it can reframe. There could be like a lot of positive things, but it could reframe how you look at the negative yeah. or how you look at what you think is positive, like how, how we all want world peace and to get along. But isn't it like the struggles and the arguments that make us who we are and that shape us? for the better a you, lot of the time you know you're you might hate me for th- saying this people might hate me for saying this it's i, I feel like it's, it's just gonna end up being a little column a column b like there's <laughs> going to be a ton of people <laughs> who end up getting seriously detached from real life mm-hmm. in in these sort of just digital realities and then there's going to be a whole separate uh world of people that do care more about like Let's continue to expand humanity forward and yeah. let's continue to progress the the entire species mm-hmm. and let's figure out what's out there in the rest of the universe. And th- there will there will be people from that extreme and the far digital extreme and like everyone in between that sort of engages in those virtual realities. Right. And 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 uses all of those those sort of intermediaries along that spectrum. Yeah. Yes, we'll call him A, we'll call him B. <laughs> um, uh, what it, something that I <laughs> I feel like could be different about all of this is that, or or uh, unique and, and in a good way maybe is that like a lot of people are feeling, um, very, they're struggling with uh feeling like pawns, you know, in in in. And we don't have a lot of control over our futures in some ways and, like, over the rules of our country and all of this. And I feel like if per Mike's, like, his whole goal of, like, making world building more accessible to people, well, if you can create any world and that's essentially, like, it used to be that you had to discover land. Well, what did you need to discover land? Like, money. You know what I mean? All of this stuff. But if if you can create, build worlds and attract people to your world um, and that's more accessible to you and uh, maybe isn't driven as much, you don't have to like, you know, cross vast lands and build build rockets or whatever to get to new places. You know, if you yeah. can just do that and attract people to that world and create new worlds in that world, well, perhaps we could all like benefit from that in some way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like that's one last positive note maybe on that subject. No, there's there is totally I think there is a <laughs> there's a reasonably infinite uh amount of potential good um and like positive gain. If if like if we were to think of all people that ever will that will ever live or exist, these are things that can somehow improve their experience if we're building them in the right way because right now that is the stage we're in is just starting to explore the medium um 
then there's a lot of potential for just like net gain, net positive effect and less suffering in the world because you can help those people that are in natural reality more limited. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that, I mean, it also doesn't negate the, the, um, just the general principle of like wanting to help the rest of humanity, the sort of like physical, um, the, en- the physical entity of just humans in the universe. I mean, I, I think that whole side of things and the fact that we, that we do sort of, we're, we're, we are born into our bodies with like, not by choice. We are just cast here and we have this sort of imperative to explore and learn and figure things out. Some people are going to choose digital mediums to do that whether they really have that choice or it's something that they're more obligated to and others are going to take advantage of their endowment to go and explore the real universe more. Yeah. But I think that we can find like net positive from all of that. Mm-hmm. It's just the, the, the areas that concern me are when you come back to, well, okay, lots of people are going to explore worlds in virtual reality. Sure. Who's going to control the real reality? Like who is going to exploit people in the real reality? And so that's where we come back to science fiction and exploring those potential pitfalls and try to head off those types of threats over time. Mm. Do you think that you will find a balance or live more in one world or the other? I think I prefer real reality in most contexts still. But I also feel like that is because I have the privilege to do so mm-hmm. by a combination of social acumen and comfort and physical endowment, all of those and, and just like everything that I've grown up with, I, I enjoy being able to go out into the real mountains and I enjoy being able to go and and experience social interaction with people in real life. And all of those things feel very advantageous right now. So, of course, I'm going to prefer that. But I can totally see a eventual period in my life where certain things like my physical ability start to deteriorate and it starts to become more enticing to spend more time in virtual or alternate realities. Mm-hmm. And at that point, even now, I'm thinking forward like – damn, I really hope that we can find some sort of way to to start to transition people away from being reliant on our sort of organic physical selves. Hmm. I do want to see that happen eventually. Yeah. But will it happen in our lifetime? And then like ultimately, you know, that just comes back to like fear of death. Like one way or another, my assumption is I'm going to die mm-hmm. at one point. And I didn't care much. This is like the whole Mark Twain tone of like, I didn't mind much before I was born and I probably won't mind after I'm dead. But if there is a possibility that we don't end up having to die anyways, I would like to see that that future. You would like to see – if you don't – if you say that again, if you don't I, have to die, if, if I, you don't die, you want to see – If it's not – if it is not necessary – if it is not just incidental that I will die one day, if there's a possibility that 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 there is an alternate course, mm-hmm. I want to explore it. Right. 
What does that have to do with living in VR? Because I don't see, I mean, I feel like that's inevitably going to be the oh, only way. Oh my God, to, I see. So you're yeah. not talking about like medical. Medical treatment. Sorry, folks. It actually. <laughs> Slow sorry. after a long week. I don't know if that was just me, yeah. but but so you're not talking about like medical advancements where you can. Well, it's a combination. Right. Okay. A combo of this like us kind of combining with computers to make us event- yes. like live longer both as humans and virtual beings. Yeah. I, I just imagine. Path. Yeah. I just imagine that. As right, we are natural physical beings at this point, organic uh, beings. But as we sort of further integrate with our technology, and we further uh, we create further more synthetic bodies for ourselves, it will become like there. It seems like there is a point at which it won't actually make sense to to care as much about your like physical space. Mm-hmm. Say if you wanted to send. Uh, a bunch of us, a bunch of humans in whatever form this would be in the future mm-hmm. to another part of the galaxy. And this is all so ridiculously speculative <laughs> and everything because, yeah. you know, we may not even be here 10 years from now. Who knows? But if we do get that far, why would you sit inside of the physical space of the ship, even if you're a completely like robotic synthetic body, if you have the ability to just exist as a human self as a mind inside of infinite other worlds and spaces right and then at that point we're just kind of like this this technological species that is propagating out across the universe just to see what's out there and at the same time we are living an infinite number of like layered worlds and experiences on top of all that yeah just for the hell of it because like we're here (laughs) so like what else are we gonna do yeah and i feel like if uh, one question that everyone could ask themselves is when we talk about like going for a walk, going to the mountains, going to the beach, mm-hmm. what is it that that is actually giving us? Because I think that it's actually hard to articulate. Yeah. We don't have words for everything. And a lot of that is, is, are, is I think, falls within this connection with the world that is inexplicable and what we feel with like the wind and the rain and nature. I think that it's stuff like that, that if you, the more you stay connected with it, the more you want it and remember it. Yeah. And so it will, will constantly draw you there uh, and, and it will reward you. Yeah. I guess there's, there's always the potential that, it's always possible that there are whole layers of reality that and and dynamics that we haven't exposed through science and physics yet about how we are connected with the world. Right. That we have no idea how to simulate yet. Yeah. And because we don't even know what those are yet, I mean, how can we even calculate that into a, a potential future or simulation of going to the beach right. in virtual reality. Like we don't even know what it means to be missing the real experience of being at a beach yet. Not in the the full capacity of what, how that benefits you. Right. But I think that there is like, if there's like kind of one word to encapsulate it, it's probably beauty mm-hmm. in some way. And and we find beauty in nature. And so I think like, well, what sort of beauty can be created 
um, in a virtual world. And I think we think of virtual worlds as like video games, uh, but there's a lot of, but, but there is, which, you know, have gotten a certain reputation, which I don't think a lot of people would equate with beauty. Yeah. But there are beautiful experiences and experiences in video games and um, movies. Actually, are like a uh, films create a lot of beauty, uh, and they are made up worlds. Yeah. And so, like, if we find ways, and we often love, like, that's what we love about film. It is that escapism. It is that beauty. Not all films, but I just mean like there are a lot of things like that that can connect us with things that we can't actually. It's like a unique form of connection and often because it's like showing us something that we have trouble talking about or ver- yeah, or articulating. And so I think that the virtual world can give us like it's not all about like, oh, do you choose to like go on social media or not? Yeah. It's not all about like that kind of like, I don't know what to call it. I keep wanting to be like ticky tacky, like ding ding, you know, <laughs> beep beep. What? I don't know. Just like the <laughs> like negative, what? you know, like of all the like just noise, uh, you oh, know, okay. of the internet. I don't know. Those are all the words <laughs> like going on in my head. Ticky tacky. That probably means something different. I don't know. But it's a, it's, it's like there can be a lot of beauty in the things that we actually manufacture ourselves, um, in the same way that you have with books and films and all of that. And I think that I will be really interested in what is found, like what what we will do with that in the virtual world. And I would be interested in seeing that. I don't think it will always be about like, do you choose one or the other and escape from one like uh get out of the busyness of the virtual world and go right. out to nature it's like but what actually can you also do with that uh technology to create beauty yeah <laughs> no i mean i don't have a whole lot to to add to that i feel like that it's there is a there's an innate beauty about just being alive in itself and of course we are able to appreciate that to different degrees depending on how stressful (laughs) or difficult or challenging life is but just the fact that anyone or anything is at all is kind of amazing in itself right so how that sort of presence of just being and existing in virtual spaces is able to as how we're able to sort of construct that that sort of beauty of just presence in worlds in space yeah in virtual reality it was going to be very interesting yeah i mean you could imagine like when we look up at the stars we really lose ourselves right and ourselves and uh when you're not living in a city and you can actually see stars um i imagine it's beautiful uh but you kind of almost like float up mentally into the stars right but what if you actually did? What if like yeah. the stars were as clear as they are in real life or maybe even more fantastical in a virtual world and you could float around and fly around in them? I yeah. mean, like it's like, a you know, the manifestation or whatever of our dreams. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really powerful thing. And I think that a lot of very beautiful, like connecting things that could help us actually maybe even look at our real world with even wider eyes in some ways. Like it could help us see stuff that we didn't see before. Yeah. 
we don't it's like we don't know what the seat of consciousness is yet where we don't really have a way to sort of pinpoint and it's probably not even the right approach to try to pinpoint where the sort of experience of yourself and your center is but your your brain in some sense is almost acting like a sort of a machine to project all of these different experiences and like simulate all of these different experiences for you around you because you always have a sort of like central perspective it's it's very it's very difficult to to step out of that i mean you can you can take drugs or you can meditate a lot to get experiences of like losing that perspective and mm-hmm. sort of becoming larger or zooming away from yeah. the earth and and the ground and like being able to sort of feel like you're observing reality from from multiple perspectives and angles things that feel more on the verge of sort of spiritual and and less sort of central mm-hmm. like normal day-to-day experiences but <sighs> virtual reality and just this kind of technology in general it feels like it's just another it's it's another way to have those kinds of experiences and we're just refining it to be more and more like what we already do with what some people already do with their imaginations and their brain. Yeah. Like we already do this for ourselves. So however that sort of conscious experience is housed, we're just building more ways to project that experience for people. Right. So cool. <laughs> I like I like ending <laughs> on like a positive note like that. I feel yeah. like we have some other notes that I just like <laughs> it's just like blah com- yeah, com- yeah compared to this other stuff. Yeah. Um but I would say like I just overall loved all of these conversations. I feel like it's opened up my mind to so many different thoughts. Um huge thanks to Mike for uh spending all that time with us and for people listening. I mean genuinely uh, I know that this is like a lot of content, but hopefully, you know, that's just how Jay and I yeah. roll. You know, whatever. We're sharing it because yeah. we find it interesting. We enjoy this process. It's a labor of love. Right. And uh, hopefully some other people out there actually enjoy this whole thought process and journey as well. Yeah. I'd love to like hear for people who are listening to this. Um, I'd love to hear people's thoughts on thoughts on thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh, uh, it's <laughs> like meta, meta, meta. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I feel like I personally have been enjoying doing thoughts on thoughts. Like after yeah, the episode, a reflection, kind of reflecting whether that's like digging deeper into actual parts of the conversation or just actually really leaning into tangents that are yeah. spawned from it. What's uh, it. When you have somebody on and you want to talk through these different things, you've got limited time, you know, like they're not necessarily like you and I, Kelly, have a sort a certain rapport and comfort level between the two of us where we can we can just talk like this for a long, long right. time. But if there's another entity that kind of comes into the group, it changes that dynamic a little bit. And so I feel like it's useful to step back afterwards and reflect on that separate conversation. Right. Plus, you and I like this is actually our time to reflect on those conversations. Yeah, no, they, they, like we. This is the time that we. This is the only time we get. <laughs> so why not record it and share it? Um, we do this anyways. We just only started recording it recently. Right, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Um, so I guess like 
if you have thoughts on thoughts on thoughts, um, <laughs> if you like it or not. I mean, we're I would love to hear what people like or don't like or what they're thinking about it. Um, I personally probably plan on continuing doing this because it's yeah. actually my one of my favorite parts. Like I love talking with the guests, but I also love talking with you about it. So I say, let's just like do it. Yeah. Cool. We're just gonna so fucking do it. We're just gonna fucking do it. So, <laughs> if people who don't like thoughts on thoughts and just want to listen to the guests, I mean, that's the first part of all the conversations. Yeah, we can just denote when the recording sort of like ends, right? And in the episodes, yeah, or just you know figure Whatever. it out. Stop it when it. Stop it when <laughs> when you don't care. Ends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go go do use <laughs> your use your individual freedom yeah. to go listen to whatever the hell you want. <laughs> What are you doing here anyway? Right. Yeah. Or you can fast forward through the guests and just listen to us. Yeah. No, I'm just um, but uh, but yeah. And um, if for Mike, so we mentioned this last time, but uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Mija Gorle. So that's M I J A G O U R L A Y. We really encourage you to go follow him. Mike also wanted you to mention something about uh, fluids. <laughs> Oh, his fluids? <laughs> yes, his fluids. <laughs> uh, or like being the master of fluids. Or something. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He didn't say master Ooh. of fluids. Wait, hold on, I'm pulling it up. Okay. I had I had messaged Mike earlier just being like, yo, like, should we say anything about like HoloLens 2 or whatever? Because like, I don't know, by the way, it's it's out. It's out, right? <laughs> it, is, it is out. It's, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's been released. Right, right. Uh, they're always doing cool work over there at the Microsoft. Um, <laughs> but I was like, oh, should I like say anything, plug anything specific? And he said, maybe my fluid stuff, question mark? <laughs> I don't think that should be shared with the public. Right. <laughs> I know. Uh, no, he did awesome fluid dynamics work right. for his okay, dissertation. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> sorry to call you out on that, Mike. But yeah, I guess we'll talk about your fluids because you want us to talk about your fluids so much. <laughs> Too good. Okay. If okay. you want to find any of his work, yeah. you can find him at MijaGorle.com. That's spelled the same way as for Twitter. It's M-I-J-A-G-O-U-R-L-A-Y.com. Yeah. And actually, if you want to just like go real deep into the fluid, <laughs> you could do Mija Gorlai. Gorlai.com slash fluid. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> uh, I hope he's okay with this. <laughs> I know. So he's oh. just such a nerd, though. Like the top of this page says interactive fluid simulation for video games. Like, and then he has like a problem and objective methods he used and videos and articles he wrote. Like he did like 21 articles for Intel about fluid simulation for video games. That is an impressive number of articles just on fluid dynamics. Yeah. I actually have a kind of funny story about like meeting Mike that I just remembered, which is okay. like I was kind of like fascinated by him. And I was actually consulting at Microsoft at this time that we didn't meet through that but we ended up like that was kind of how we got to right. know each other and um and i knew that he had done he had told me about this like fluid dynamic stuff and i wanted to impress him mm -hmm. so i thought oh like you know i'll i'll try to be seem smarter and read some stuff about his fluid dynamics <laughs> articles about his fluids about his fluids <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh and so i printed out i was like holy shit you know there's like 21 articles and i'm like oh my god you know like i guess you uh, now have a research project right. for this guy yeah and i'm just going to like casually mention it in conversation I'll be like yeah it's like yeah i haven't read any of your research i yeah, promise right and so i printed one out 
uh, one of his articles out. And then when I went to the printer, of course, I was doing this during like hours that I should have been doing literally anything else like at work. <laughs> and um, and so I printed it out. And then oh, uh, no. and like I was a consultant. So you're all you're, there's like a lot of pressure to constantly be working as a yeah. consultant. And so um, and definitely not like using their facilities to print, to print other random like personal stuff. And so I uh, went to the printer and it had printed out this like fluid dynamic stuff and ran into one of my clients who was also at the printer. And then they were like, oh, is this yours? And I was like, no, I don't know. I don't know whose that is. And then just like, <laughs> was like, guess, claim it. guess my, <laughs> guess my thing didn't print. Got to go figure that out. And like, <laughs> oh, wow. You totally just blew it off. Right. But then I did go back oh, and get it or like reprinted it or whatever. And I never fucking read that thing. I read like one paragraph and I'm sure I was like, oh, Probably God, the... this is like way over my head. Um, <laughs> no, I actually was. Beginning. It actually was uh, really interesting. But like, especially at that time, I think I just like didn't have that mental capacity. Like now I think I can at least attempt to read technical things without like getting really harsh Blazing on myself. Over. Yeah. Yeah. But at the time, I was like probably putting too much pressure on it's, myself to understand it and yeah. then getting mad. Um, <laughs> but uh, like, now I'm just furious and I'm about to meet this guy and this is just not going to go well. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so he actually genuinely has done like amazing research with fluid dynamics um, and you can really check all about his fluids. You know, we could have a whole separate <laughs> episode about Mike's fluids. Um, but uh, but you can go to mitagorelli.com slash fluid to check out more and actually like I'm not going to do this justice and I wish that I could but it some of his stuff was used like in something like Adobe or something like that you know where they're like actually programming how you do VFX and all of that oh, um, okay. they're so using they're, they're some of his like uh, research and all of that right. and, and had to like ask for his permission to use it Um if I find out more, maybe I'll like paste a link about it. And I, I'm sorry that I can't like do it more justice, Mike. Uh, I called you before this and you didn't answer. So, <laughs> but um, anyways, okay, cool. Uh, well, I think uh... that's Mike's fluids. Um, check us out at <laughs> realityquestpodcast.com. Like I said, we're gonna update some uh, some show notes so that like right. everything we've mentioned like a lot of the unique stuff you can go in and find links and all of that be a lot for this um one. yeah and uh uh you can also find our episodes there you can email us we'll really mm -hmm. appreciate any emails you can uh like contribute to our cause uh right. through buying coffee or patreon and ko-fi yeah coffee yeah. Um, we also have an active Instagram. Uh, mm -hmm. I think as far as the social media world goes thus far, that's where we have been most successful in building a habit out of it. So check us out on Instagram. All of the posts from there also go to Twitter um, mm -hmm. where you can find us. Did you already mention Twitter? No. No. I was uh, reality underscore quest. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, we were reality quest podcast on Instagram. Mm -hmm. so and that's where you'll stories, be able to surveys. find a picture of Mike in a... Fluffy white bathrobe. Right. On a bean bag. Coming down the pipeline. Right. <laughs> uh, yep. I think that's about it. Well. Thanks for hanging out with us this long. Bye. No, no, not bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We're now, so have, awkward. <laughs> now, have fun. Enjoy your weekend or whatever the hell time it is that you're listening. And always. <laughs> Let's just Dan, cut it off. I don't Let's know how to end the recording. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>